Hello everyone, welcome to episode 53 of Realm in Ruin, a Warhammer podcast. A podcast that is so Warhammer that we have timeshares in Azir. Lucky us. <laughs> I'm your host Matt, and joining me as always, a guy when someone says good night to him, he replies, thank you, I have nine. It's Cameron, how you doing mate? <laughs> I'm doing wonderfully, thank you. I know that was a joke, but it's awfully close to reality. Uh, I'm in this picture and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th- I thought you were buying on behalf of your whole country, really. <laughs> Hoarding that mm. supply oh. of knights. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure I rank decently high in the uh, number of knights per capita. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's funny because you're probably increasing your net worth. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> I don't. That's not even a joke, really. I had to declare no. my net worth for my uh, for my partner's uh, study benefits, and I had to. I had to put uh, how much are my models worth, really? <laughs> how many nights have I got again? Um, mm. Well, <laughs> oh man. Well, here we are. Like I said, episode fifty-three. Mm. Uh, what are we going to be talking about today? Well, of course, we'll be talking about whatever hobby stuff we've been up to over the last couple of weeks. Uh, we'll see yep. what news has been happening in the world of Warhammer. So we've got a few little it bits. That- last time, which is nice. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Very true. And then for the main law topic, we are going to be giving an overview of some of our favorite slash cool 40k battles that we like. Mm. And then for our discussion topic, we'll be entering the mortal realms and sort of following on from last episode when we were doing our custom Imperial Guard regiments, we're going to be doing custom free guild regiment ideas and throwing them yeah. at you. Ficking mm. fast. Right, so, <laughs> before we get into the episode, uh, a couple of things. Uh, we got some cool things coming in June. I mean, today is, what, the 17th of May, as of this recording. Yeah, we're there. yeah we are. Um, we got two cool little things coming up in June. Um, one is uh, a guest, uh, a returning guest. And then, secondly, I can't say about the other until mm. we've got further details, but it'd be something really cool. So look out for yeah, that. We can either confirm <laughs> nor deny. Exactly. <laughs> the Inquisition will tell us we're naughty otherwise. Mm. So <laughs> as always, if you want to see how you can support us or follow us on social media or, you know, on give us reviews, etc., like that, all the notes are down in your podcast player of choice. And as always, if you want to, join our lovely discord which again has been getting bigger especially over this self-isolation period come along and join mm-hmm. it's free lovely people on there and as you well know if you are on that discord you can ask us a question and this mm-hmm. is today's question of the episode this comes from ideneth deep ken ah uh, <laughs> oh, he's good lad and he says <laughs> or he asks i should say what warhammer character could most benefit from three wishes from a genie oh <laughs> mm. that's a oh. Ooh. do you wow. want me to go first to yeah you go first i gotta think about this <laughs> i know i, gotta, I know i gotta pick this which is of hard my poor babies one. will be free <laughs> <laughs> I know, exactly well um I, first of all, I was thinking Gilliman. Now, mm. my thoughts mm. on Gilliman were: I know, obviously, he's sort of bit, he's sort of almost had three wishes from a genie before, because obviously he's been brought well, back yeah. to life. Um, you know, mm. with the help of uh, 
of the Eldari, etc., and obviously Cipher and all all the other people got involved. But I I, I feel sorry for Gilliman. As I, I know we've touched upon it when we spoke about Dark Imperium and Plague War. Hmm. He's under a lot of pressure. That lad, yeah. you know. I mean, he's yeah. got. Let's be honest. He's got big shoulders to to <laughs> handle that. You know, you know, in both you know physical and you know, hmm. uh, terms. But it, it, it's one of those sort of situations where I think, you know, as we've seen, he's trying to deal with all the politics. He's trying to deal with the religious side of the Imperium, as well as obviously the forces of chaos, all the Xenos races trying to get involved. And I, I yeah, I think he needs a bit of help, really. Um, hmm. Yeah. He's struggling. You know, he's got a bit of a sweat on. That hairline yeah. is receding. Um, so, <laughs> so I, Gilliman you develops know. male pattern baldness is the yeah, real well, twist we need from Games Workshop. <laughs> that's it. I mean, if it happens to a Primark, well, you know. It could happen to anyone. Exactly. So I think Gilliman is a good candidate. Um, I was thinking also Dante as well. Mm, now, yes, again. That was the first he, one that came to mind. Uh, well, I wish that, to die. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Now, that's the thing. He, at least he would be given the choice at that point, because obviously mm. the genie could kill him and grant him his wish. Or he thinks, you know what, thinking about it, you can give me some wishes and you can, mm. you know, sort of make me youthful again, you know, yeah. make me primaris. back. Exactly. So, <laughs> and, you know, I think that would benefit all the uh, Blood Angels boys as well. So, yeah, I think he's mm. a good candidate. And I think thinking about the mortal realms i think i was going to say ark and the black now the reason mm. for him is i was i'm a big fan of the idea of the ark and the black versus nagash civil war if it was yeah. ever to happen um yeah. i and i i just think ark and the black just needs a bit of a push a bit of a <laughs> bit of a um you know the resources which a, a genie mm. could grant him obviously yeah. uh yeah. to to fully take it to nagash because i think at the moment as a sneaky and as powerful as Arkan is, he is nowhere near to the sort of level of Nagash, really, which obviously is deliberate. Yeah. But I think yeah. if you wanted a good civil war between them, that he needs, yeah, he's going to need some literal genie help to uh, <laughs> to make that happen. So that, that was my mm. ideas, anyway. Yeah. Well, have you yeah. have you thought of any? Yeah, yeah, I've got a couple. Uh, I'm going to start with uh, Age of Sigma. Uh, and now, now I'm categorizing who deserves to get three wishes from a genie based on a couple of factors. Uh, one, how funny would it be? Two, who would do the least harm? And three, <laughs> who really, really needs the break? And someone who fits all three of those categories is Gracia Thankwall. Um, <laughs> because you know, even if he wished to kill all non-Skaven in the universe, somehow that wish would fuck up and not actually hurt any humans or anything <laughs> it's just something would go wrong but the poor guy deserves a break he deserves to be like i wish wish for many warpstone tokens and then wake up in a bath full of warpstone or something like that he needs a little bit of something to go in it go his way uh and also would be absolutely hilarious to see what a mad hopped up skaven would wish for i think <laughs> um yeah 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 uh similarly uh, I'm going to say uh, Tornus the Redeemed probably could use a few wishes. <laughs> Be accepted by his fellow Stormcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish I could just do my job. <laughs> <laughs> Stop bullying me, please. <laughs> yeah, poor little guy. Um, 
over in 40k, I think Commissar Yarrick could use a few wishes, uh, mostly <laughs> to like fix his back, that kind of thing. Like his, his back has to be absolutely wrecked yep. from holding that power claw. Like that is a severe weight distribution, like unba- <laughs> imbalance. It's insane. Uh, that man is kept alive by spite, and he needs something to live for. So I think, like, a nice holiday to an agro world or something, and someone <laughs> to fix his back, and maybe just lock Gazgul up for six months would be a good set of wishes or something. See, I can't uh, imagine Yarrick <laughs> actually relaxing, to be honest. He just mm. doesn't seem the type that, you know, I can mm. imagine him being there with his significant other and them sort of saying, like, just have another drink. Like, no! Not the orcs no. again! And it's like, you know, it's like a green cocktail. No! Yeah. Like, so I'm in, like, flashbacks and things like that. You can never have a Midori with lime again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, and, oh, I have one more completely flat on my head on the idea of just Yarrick on a beach with a cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, oh, Oh, there we are. Yeah, there, there it is. Thanks, Brain. Uh, I'm going to say uh, Ravener could also use three wishes. Just, you know, he's very powerful in his chair, but he constantly thinks about how he used to be young and handsome and, like, strong and fit, and I feel True. like he, he could wish his way out of that and still keep all his cool psychic powers. He'd be pretty happy. And yeah. he couldn't do a lot of damage. He's generally a good guy. He is. He, he like, thinks of Xenos cooperation as an okay thing. He likes Eldar, that kind yeah. of stuff, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I wouldn't That's give it to Eisenhorn. He'd kill everyone. No, he's he's a yeah. He's got he's, <laughs> he's gone a bit. On. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, I love questions like this. Mm. <laughs> it's the, it's just getting to the real the real meat of Warhammer. <laughs> so, mm. so thank you very much again for that that question. Mm. Oh, right. Okay. So that's the question bit. Mm. So I think yeah, it's now yeah. time to discuss hobby. Right, okay, hobby time. Uh, yep. So we've had, obviously, a few more weeks to work on our lovely little project. So, Cameron, mm-hmm. tell me, what have you been working on, mate? Cool. Uh, I've got a page of notes here uh, because I had to order my thoughts. I've done a bit. Um, Ooh, so professional. I, I, I've, I've um, ordered this out into buying, built, painted, played, reading, and planning. Um, Whoa! Because <laughs> it's Whoa. been busy. <laughs> Wait, it's only a three-hour show. Come on. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll keep things simple. Don't worry. Um, so, <laughs> for buying. Hey, you remember last time I was grousing about how Australia was inexplicably excluded from the opening of the Games Workshop web store across the world? Mm. We're mm-hmm. open now. Hooray! Hooray! So, um, I ordered Wrath of the Everchosen, A, because that tasty, tasty lore, and B, because we got it slated for some time. We were going to do it earlier, honestly, but then this whole pandemic really confused our timetable um <laughs> uh We've adapted. I ordered a, yeah exactly uh i ordered a bunch of paints and here's a pro tip from me always check what paints you have before you go oh i need that paint and order it because because <laughs> <laughs> i went oh, i'm running out of black templar you know the, the most beautiful black contrast paint paint there is it's so good i love it i use it a lot uh so i went oh i'll just chuck it into this order with this other stuff I pressed order and I was painting later the day and I'm like, oh, I'm into the last dregs of this bottle of Black Templar. And then I just looked across and nestled between all my other paints was a full bottle of Black Templar brand new that I'd bought literally <laughs> days before everything had closed down. And I'd just forgotten that I'd bought it. And then I went, oh, yeah, well, uh, I'm running out of Agrix Earthshade, but I'll check this time. And it's a good thing I checked because I clearly didn't check 
the last time I thought I was running out of Agrax Earthshade because I own two unopened bottles of Agrax Earthshade <laughs> and I don't know. I'm sorry, I'm the hoarder apparently. I, I must have bought one, then forgotten I'd bought it, then bought another one. Um, and really, really check your paints because the last week, last two weeks I've been like, oh, I'm running out of Flesh Terrors Red. I really need to get Flesh Terrors Red. And then I didn't order Flesh Terrors Red. And I don't have a secret backup bottle of Flesh Terrors Red. So I got, I got to wait on that one. Um, and then I also bought, uh, in that order was also the Worm Spat for Underworlds because mm-hmm. I just love the way they look. They look like a yep. lot of fun and like that would be a really great, like just mini project. Mm-hmm. It'd be great for D and D. Um, yeah. Good <laughs> yeah, like an ogre mage and a couple of ogres all gross and, ugh. yep, love it. Uh, and I also ordered Garrick's Reavers, uh, also mm. ostensibly from Underworlds, not for Underworlds. I'm going to turn them into Goliath Jews because they are, they are smaller, muscly lads and I've got lots of spare Goliath bits. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm. They're going to be Good a lot shy. of fun. Mm. Mm. Uh, over to building. Uh, I have done a little work on the Night Rampager. I have stuck its head onto the body officially. It's soup glued unless it's fallen off in the previous 40 minutes since I set it down carefully, uh, the head is attached to the body. Um, <laughs> which is good. The head's fully painted. Um, of course, uh, I stuck it on because I was afraid I was going to lose it at this point. Honestly, it's just kind of rattling around in a box. Um, I also stuck the exhaust vents on, but I'm using the exhaust vents with like the screaming faces on them from the Molafiend and Forgefiend kit. Yeah. And those don't actually gel super well with like the piping on the chaos knight so i've instead stuck those to the top carapace armor where they would come up through where the vents normally go uh and i'm just going to do a little green stuff work and blend them into where they would attach onto the body and that kind of thing and then paint all that and that'll be kosher um over to painting uh i've done more like weathering and dirtying up on the rampager chassis as well so i've got Mm -hmm. a little more painting done on that I uh, just need to do, like, the really heavy rust stuff now, and then it's on to painting armor panels, the arms, and the top carapace, uh, and the and, and all the base and all the other bits. There's a lot left to do. Uh, this project <laughs> is... Painting-wise, we are, like, 20% done, uh, even though nice. I've painted 50% of the surface area of the model. Um, <laughs> it's weird how that works. Um and I, I got hyped for Necromunda, so I started painting a lot of Goliaths. Um, I have fully painted a Ganger, a Juve, and my Stimmer. Uh, well, fully. Like, the, the Stimmer's like 98% painted. I'm waiting on like one more paint to paint the little heart rate monitor thing he has to make sure his oh, yeah. heart doesn't explode from all his drugs. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I am really happy with them. I, I kind of turned them out really quickly, which surprised me. Um, I've been experimenting with skin tones again, so my Stimmer is like a nice dark brown skin tone, my Juve is sort of a more olivey, sort of greeky skin tone, and my yeah. um, Ganger I painted up is pale, but not the same kind of pale as the other ones I've done so far, uh, which is pretty fun. The Juve has Juggalo face paint, um, <laughs> because, <laughs> because he's based on uh, Sergeant Harker, and I couldn't think of another way to attract attention to his face, because uh, he's not wearing... <laughs> armor or, or anything really so his pants which are bright yellow were really drawing the eye down and away from his face so i went yep cool juggalo makeup he's good <laughs> people look at his face <laughs> um they they were a lot of fun to paint and yeah. i'm 
learning a lot about painting skin and layering and blending and things like that. And I don't know how I feel about that. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> getting a bit advanced now. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. There's too many techniques being used at once. Um, but I'm really happy with it. Like I did some freehand green veins on the stimmer's head and stuff. And like all the actual veins in the model I've picked out with like some green contrast to make it look like he is absolutely full of, <laughs> full of drugs. His blood has changed color. Um, Beautiful. <laughs> and all kinds of things. Um, I have also started remaining, uh, painting the few remaining Goliaths I have built up. So mm-hmm. they're primed. They've got their metals base coated. One of them has his skin sort of halfway done. Uh, and I've, I'm like 75% done, I'm willing to say, on my leader with a heavy bolter. Uh, cause cool. Ironically enough, he's not in any of my starting lists. Uh, he has a different loadout in my starting list, but that was the that was the model I first wanted to make for Goliath. So I decided I got to knuckle down and get him done. Yeah, uh, and he's looking pretty decent so far. I decided to do something difficult for his skin, which is I gave him Vitiligo, which is the um the skin condition where your body eats your skin pigment. So if you're darker skinned, you get random patches of very yeah. pale skin. Yeah, another one. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's come out all right, but it's going to be difficult to tell until I've painted the whole model completely and can compare it to the rest of it and see what I need to do with it. So, mm-hmm. like, he's got a patch. He's got a patch on the corner of his mouth, on his arm, on his fingers, and all that kind of stuff. And I think it looks okay. People will probably ask, "Why haven't you finished painting this miniature?" And I'll have to explain every time. No, he's done. <laughs> he just has a skin condition. <laughs> um, <laughs> But that's fine. It it makes him makes him feel interesting and unique, and I like that. Yeah, um, I like that. And yeah, yeah. And the reason I got excited and painted all these glass is because uh, I played another game of Necromunda, and I wanted to yeah. have at least one more done for that. So I painted the Juve up for that. Uh, and in the aftermath, I had to paint up the ganger who won the game for me. Uh, so Ooh. yeah. Uh, so my buddy Alan came around again, dropped by, uh, sort of. Not unexpectedly, but, like, on short notice, uh, which was nice. He was in the area. Uh, and we had a ki- quick game of The Trap, where one gang is, like, having a gang meeting in the middle, and the other gang ambushes them from the outside edge of the board. Um, <laughs> it was pretty good. Uh, when you're deploying your guys, uh, there's a chance if you're the person being ambushed, which I was. I was the trap E, not the trapper. Um, you roll a d6, and on a 6, they get to spring a counter-ambush, and you deploy them on the outside of the edge of the board, and stuff like that. So my leader and this one ganger named Brock were the only ones who weren't caught in the trap, and my leader in the very first turn got shot in the face and went down. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so while uh, I was up against a Van Saar gang uh, with a lot of plasma, including a plasma cannon, which is hilarious in Necromunda, <laughs> um... So while the rest of the gang was dealing with all that, Brock was just engaged in a four-turn-long duel with the enemy leader who had a shield and a mace, and Brock has an axe and a pistol. And <laughs> over the course of four turns, they dealt no damage to each other, but eventually the leader failed a nerve test when the Vansar gang bottled, and the leader ran away. Um, <laughs> leaving Brock to calmly walk into the middle of the board where two Vansar champions were left as the only two remaining Vansar gangers and Brock was the only Goliath left uh, and he stood behind cover and shot at them until they gave up, failed their nerve tests and ran away as well <laughs> Ambush failed <laughs> um, Yeah, Ambush well, Ambush was pretty successful honestly, uh, we, had a, we had a corner called the Death Corner where, um, so the thing about a plasma cannon 
is it feels like a really strong weapon when you look at the stats. Hmm. But with the way Alan rolled, I think even when he was putting it on high power and overcharging it, I'm pretty sure the champion was actually just firing on low power and pretending to... Like, you know, he's like, oh, it's a two plus to wound and rolls a one every single time. And, um... (laughs) And, and there's a lot of back and forth there, like, uh, my champion with a shotgun was laying down the template shot, which is like the, you've just filled your shotgun with ball bearings, basically, instead of a solid slug. Um, <laughs> and there was this one Vansar guy lying on the ground there, just a bag of meat in a, in, in like a hazard suit at, by the end of it, because he spent three turns on the ground, uh, bleeding out. Like, he had two <laughs> flesh wounds. If he, if he recovered and got another flesh wound to stand up, he would immediately bleed out. And if he rolled badly and died, he would die, but he just kept rolling severely injured, even when I was, like, shooting him and hitting him with sticks and everything. He's just <laughs> lying there on the ground, like, ah! <laughs> There's all kinds of awful, awful stuff happening in that corner. Uh, it was a hilarious game. Necromunda is really fun. Mm. Um, <laughs> it it inclu- includes such a glorious moment as my, uh, my Goliath champion with the shotgun with toughness one at that point because he was so badly injured standing up just doing a 180 spin and nailing a vansar champion in the head and just uh pushing him back into the wall and letting him bleed out on the floor uh, <laughs> except he got up later of course because of course he did um all kinds of interesting dumb bullshit uh it's mm. such a good game that sums really up like commander <laughs> yeah yeah uh we're planning to hopefully get a campaign running soon because uh, Western Australia, Australian general's doing all right. Western Australia's doing really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to have a few guys together in, in a couple of weeks' time and actually get a little campaign running, and I'll be able to nice. tell the uh, tell the tale of the broiler boys royally fucking up. I am sure. <laughs> um, in even more playing, I have a friend in D and D. We'll call him Sean because that's his name. Um, <laughs> good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, Sean played Warhammer back in third edition and then quit, uh, because he had life got in the way and all that kind of thing, sold off all mm-hmm. his models, all that kind of stuff. We met, we met, uh, through friends of friends, et cetera, et cetera. He got into our D and D group. We've been friends for a while and we, we, every now and again, we have a little chat about Warhammer. And then he finally came to me, the corruption built to the point where he came to me and said, Cam, can we play some Warhammer? I went, yes, of course. Yes, we can. My child. (laughs) Um, So, because he hasn't played since 3rd edition, we did a little bit of a catch-up to 8th day, uh, where he just came over for a couple of hours, and because the only thing I had on on hand for 40k were Plague Marines, that's what we Mm. used. Um, So, we did three mini-games, so, like, just on a table in, like, a two-foot-by-two-foot area with a little bit of terrain dashed around it. Uh, we started off just controlling one squad of Plague Marines each. Then we moved up to a squad of Plague Marines plus a character, or in his case, a character and some Poxwalkers additional. Uh, and he won both of those pretty handily. Uh, beat my, <laughs> beat my squad of Plague Marines into the fucking dirt. Um, especially because my, uh, my sorcerer, when we introduced characters, immediately rolled a Perils of the Warp and reduced himself to one wound as the very first thing <laughs> in that game. Uh, and then we went big and we just took a night each and went at it and he got a feel for how <laughs> the bigger models work. Because of course, back when he was in, vehicles would have like armor facings and hull points and things mm. like that instead of just toughness eight and 24 wounds. Uh, and that was fun. He took control of my despoiler. I played my desecrator. It came down to like 
I think I took the despoiler out when it had when I had three wounds left or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it started out like you've got so many more guns than me. Oh, you can't roll all of a sudden. That's sad. Um, and you know it's night v night, so they charge in, they beat each other up, they back up, they shoot each other, they charge in, they beat each other up, uh, just back and forth for a couple of turns until we just ended up kicking each other to death, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was fun. He got a feel for it. Hopefully. Hopefully he'll, he'll want to get back into it. I might have another 40k buddy, which would also be convenient because mm. he's like a 10 minute walk away from my house. Oh, um, perfect. That would be, Actually, be so I, was think, I was thinking mm. he would be a good guinea pig for our yeah. Knights Dueling game. Oh, yes. Trust me. I'm, I'm, I'm working on that next. <laughs> <laughs> I need you to test for me. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah, so that, that was fun. Uh, I've actually done some gaming. Technically... Mm. Technically, those were all games of 40k, so I'm going to call myself up to four for the year, which means I can do nothing until 2023, and I'm good, technically, I think. I'm, I'm saving up credits. Um, so if someone offers you a game soon, like, nope, sorry, I've got to wait a few years. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm out, I'm My quota is uh, been up. Um, now, uh, I've also been doing a little reading. I've been mm. rereading Dark Harvest. Uh, mm. ne- hey, next time around, we're probably going to be talking about Dark Harvest. Yes, that's, we are. That's a, that's, that's a real good book. Uh, <laughs> it's a good book. Again, I said it the first time around. I'll say it again. Cool, like, mystery horror thing set in Gairan that really expands what Gairan can be like. Fucking mm-hmm. love it. Awesome. Uh, but I've also been rereading the Chaos Knights Codex because, you know, it's sometimes just nice to sit down and troll through lore that you haven't actually looked at in about six months. Uh, <laughs> yep. which, which led into, um, <laughs> planning, which is when my local game workshop reopens, I'm going to buy a Knight Valiant and an Exorcist from the Sister of Battle Range and make a Chaos Knight. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the, when, when I made my little, house interitis family tree i just i i assigned names and i assigned like what chassis of knight they piloted and nothing else because i want to do like character discovery as i build the knights or as i get to it or whatever uh and one always stood out because i i put one name there which is contessa silva de frame which is very different to all the other names which are all like germanic kind of uh, kind of northern European to middle European stuff. This is a sort of more very Frenchy, Spanishy name. Yeah. Um, and I went, oh, where, where does that come from? Where does she come from? And I went, ah, um, much as medieval, uh, noble households would do, when you make an alliance with another house, someone marries across to really cement that <laughs> alliance. They so do. she, she's a, she's a noble from House Herpetrax. Which is, uh, my favorite iconoclast, iconoclast house. Um, the one where the Imperium discovered them and they immediately went, fuck all that, get out of here or we'll kill you to the Imperium. <laughs> uh, and have been renegades since their discovery. Um, they're awesome. Uh, and their scheme is also very Death Guardy, so it fits. And, uh, yeah, House Herpetrax and House Interactus clearly made an alliance at one point, uh, which led to this glorious creature that I'm going to make. Um, ah. I knew I forgot something in buying because I bought stuff specifically for this already. Oh. Um, so, uh, a few episodes back, I talked about Tarot Model Maker, who is a, uh, sort of a bits maker on Etsy, who does a lot of cool knight bits, like he does, mm-hmm. like, weapon arms and stuff like that. Uh, he's got a new set of leg extenders, 
which add like the third joint, but they are sized for Dominus Knights. So this is going to be a Knight Valiant with the three, with the double jointed legs, like the current Chaos Knight kit. Yeah. Which is going to be great. He's going to be real tall. Um, <laughs> they also have like a, a Knight head that is, uh, it's hard to describe. It's, it is a skull with like hanging wire and stuff, but it is a skull skull, not like a mechanical skull. Yeah. Kind of thing. So it, it looks really good. It's just a big, Night-sized skull in place of the head. Um, and I got a, a waist extender, which adds more height to the waist as well. So this is going to be like a taller, spindlier, creepier-looking knight, hopefully. Uh, and I also bought a whole bunch of wound counters that he does, which are just discs with um, 1 to 12 or 1 to 24 or 1 to 28 on them. Yeah. And they've got a got an alternating little pointer bit that goes on top. I got the Chaos Star ones, obviously. Because uh, I figure if I do this, this will force me to play with my knights more because I have like all these all these tokens and things for using them. I need I need that. Um, uh, yeah, and and I got that. I was like, yeah, I'll do a valiant sometimes in the future, maybe. And then I thought again, and I went, I could do a really cool like it. It doesn't have to look like my current knights entirely because it's a knight from another house that's joining True. the household. So I'm yeah. going to do like a lot of skeletal imagery. Um, I'm, I'm using the Exorcist kit, kit primarily because I saw, um, did you ever see the guy on Reddit who does the word bearers that worship the emperors, the fifth chaos god? Um, no, no, I'm not familiar you should, with that. You should find those. He does incredible work, but one of his things is a knight with like the Admech, uh, floaty tank barge on top, uh, sort of built in the top with a, with a word bearer priest sitting up there piloting the knight. Um... Which is awesome. So my idea is I will take the top carapace of the exorcist, turn that into the top carapace of the knight. So mm-hmm. uh, the con- the Contessa Dufresne will be sitting up there piloting her knight, protected mm. primarily by the ion shielding. Um, it'll have all the exorcist missile launchers to represent the various cannons and other bits and bobs that go on top of a uh, knight dominus. And the exorcist has really great exhausts uh, for a rhino. It has those big braziers with flames in them. Yeah. So I'm going to tear apart the triple-barreled flamethrower that Knight Dominus, uh, that the Knight Valiant has, and use those like more brutal braziers that are literally l- have flames leaping out of them as the uh, Valiant flamethrower. I forget the actual name of the weapon. <laughs> so sh- she'll be perched on top of like a, and then I'll use the chassis, of course, to make rubble for for it to stand on. So she'll be like standing with these with these weird two-jointed legs on top of a burnt out broken vehicle uh with the harpoon still embedded it and then i think i'm just going to do like a scorched line in the base to show where the flamethrower fires <laughs> <laughs> just like a furrow that it, that i'll paint so it's like still got like glowing embers and stuff in it maybe a couple of skeletons who knows um something like that yeah, yeah. so i'm really excited for that project I've got to pace myself. First off, I've got to wait for the Games Workshop <laughs> store to reopen because <laughs> I, I, I want I want to give them the traffic for that. Uh, honestly, because I love that store, and it must must be difficult for them not being able to be open literally. Um, yeah. So yeah. so I'll, I'll I'll celebrate their reopening by buying all the stuff for that there. Uh, but also, <laughs> I, sh- I really should finish my Rampager first. So I'm going to focus on finishing that before I go full full hog into making an even bigger knight mm-hmm. <laughs> with a whole with like a full organ and a lady piloting on top it's so good i'm gonna i'm so excited for it but it's gotta wait <laughs> <Exactly>. uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh 
and yeah, that that's my hobby. Buying, building, painting, playing, reading and planning. It's been a busy two weeks. It feels like forever. <laughs> <laughs> the six rules of Warhammer. <laughs> it's like Ooh. dodgeball. Um, yeah. <laughs> cool. That's saying that's, yeah. that you've been a busy lad. That's, I, I like the idea of what you've done with the knights as in like the fact that you've married mm. them up, uh, literally. Yeah. And yeah, it's a little I like family the, tree. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be a guest at that wedding. It would, no, that would be di- di- absolutely disgusting. I'm, I'm planning to write, I'm planning to write some fiction about what it means to join that household from her perspective at some point <laughs> oh. because. It's a bad, it's a bad household. This is a household where they take the children and say, Hey, you see that zombie strapped to the night chassis? That's your uncle. We love him because he kills everything. And the children go, Yay, it's Uncle Harkonnen. <laughs> no, but I like the fact that it's allowing you to carry on with your theme, but slightly divert it as well. Mm, so you can carry on yeah. building nights and have a perfectly justifiable way of doing mm. it or why you're doing it. So yeah. no, I like that. That's, that's Thank cool. You. <laughs> cool right nice okay well before i get into my hobby section um we'll do the hobby tip of the episode this comes from yes. friend of the show adrian uh this is obviously halfway through a conversation but it has mm. context so uh he basically says for applying the powder on flames so if that's something mm-hmm. you want to do pick up some eyeshadow applicators put uh, mm. a tiny bit on one wipe away the excess with a bit of paper before putting it on the model and the stuff goes a long way. So yeah, ah, get if you don't have fun. some, get some eyeshadow applicators. Yeah, you know, some of us may have them already, <laughs> but uh, you know, for other means. But that's uh, yeah, handy little tip. Thank you very much, Adrian. Right, okay. So what have I been up to? Um, it's been a funny few weeks, if I'm being honest. Mm. Um, I I think I I've struggled with my hobby stuff really because I've I've found this far into self-isolation get it's getting tough sort of mentally getting tough for me on a personal level which is therefore impacted my uh, mood i would say you know the last few weeks really and it sort of made me you know and obviously that in turn affects your hobbies and obviously in turn affects warhammer so it's been one of those sort of situations where i'm thinking right what do i actually want to achieve here what am i doing i'm you know I've, i've been enjoying having multiple projects on the go, but then at times it can get a bit out of hand, you know, and mm. I thought to myself, maybe I'll use this as a, this time to sort of think about, you know, try and focus a little bit more and obviously, you know, and which is the first thing I did and have a bit of a clear out to be honest. So, mm. um, I went up in my loft, I found all the little, well, all the box, <laughs> some of them weren't little, um, some of the boxes <laughs> of stuff that I've uh, I've bought in the past, you know, still brand new, you know, like we all mm, often do yeah. where we've got a backlog of stuff thinking, oh, this is cool. I'll have this for a future project or mm. something, you know, especially like Battle Forces, you know, where you buy, you know, I've done that a few times where I've bought them thinking, well, they're a good deal. I don't want to work on them now. I'll buy it while it's still available, put it away and then obviously have it for a future time. And I just thought mm. to myself, look, there's just stuff up there that I've bought on a whim, like I just described then. And yeah, you know, best way is have a clear out from a physical point of view, from a mental point of view, uh, you get some money back. And obviously the good thing is with Mm. our hobby, often you make most of your money back uh, within reason. And especially if you've got it on a discount, you're probably going to, as I said, make (laughs) most of your money back. Um, And also, you know, importantly as well, someone else benefits from it as well. You know, where someone else that could, you know, is short of models, 
I don't know who mm. these people are because it feels like everyone's got too many models. But <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> but there's obviously some people shot on models. So yeah, I, I sold you know a fair few bits really, and obviously mm. the nice thing is that's recouped a few hundred pounds you know for me to yeah. obviously spend on the hobby. I've still got a more bit more to sell, either find buyers or. Uh, so, well, I need, like for example, I need to send my Deepkin all the way over to America to Stephen because he's buying my Deepkin mm. off me. Uh, so again, yeah. you know, it all, it all. The good thing is it all get reinvested back into, uh, you know, to the hobby. Really, it just it was just nice to have yeah. a bit of a clear out, really. And and yeah, tw- our Twitter was busy with my uh, my uh, <laughs> yeah backyard <laughs> Warhammer sale. <laughs> I was like, why are we getting so many messages? And then I, I logged onto her Twitter and saw the post you put. I'm like, ah, everyone wants your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I thought, well, there's no point doing it on my personal Twitter just because it wouldn't mm. reach the same sort of audience. So I just thought, yeah, like, put it on yeah. our podcast. And yeah, and, and obviously it was a lot more popular than uh, than first thought to the point where yeah. I, I I took a photo of the, the box. So if you imagine mm. for people that haven't seen it, I, I had a, you know, one of those big, clear plastic boxes and within that mm. was boxes of warhammer stuff so obviously yeah. i brought it down from my loft i thought you know i thought right i'm keeping you know i basically had two piles like this is what i'm keeping this is what i'm selling so mm. i got yeah. you know obviously the, all the sales stuff in this one plastic box obviously i t- yeah. put a picture on our twitter and you know saying you know this is going to go up you know some of these bits are going to go up for sale soon and like even mm. before I put up, so people were like, "Oh, can I buy that off you? Can I buy that off you?" Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, and and unfortunately, some of it was already pre-sold, you know, to mm. to other yeah. people. Um, yeah. it was you know, I, and so it made it a bit awkward because I'm having to say, "Look, no, 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 this is this is not for sale." Even though I've said this box yeah. is for sale, that bit is not for mm. sale because yeah. someone else has already bought it. And so it got <laughs> it got a bit awkward, and yeah, you know, yeah, but it was good. Yeah. It was nice, and, and like I said, yeah. I've sold the vast majority of it. Um, so, um. When it comes to mm. them moving on from that, um, an idea I've wanted to do for a while is to do a Cities of Sigmar army, uh, primarily yeah. a Hallow Heart army. Um, and mm. the good thing is I've got boxes of stuff lying around that you're thinking, ha-ha, that's the box mm. that's going to come in handy now. So, yeah, I've been working on Cities of Sigmar, really. Um, my plan is eventually to similar to what you're doing with your knights i would like to do a backstory mm. with them i would like yeah. to basically you know create my own city but for tabletop purposes they will be a hollow heart rules army if you mm. see what i mean but they'll yeah. be not obviously from hollow heart they'll be from another another city so um i haven't started that part of it yet but um but i have started building some of them so uh and obviously in turn buying stuff and then when i look at my list i'm thinking bloody hell i've actually bought quite a bit over the last few weeks <laughs> as well without really knowing it so uh so model wise i built myself a knight in cantor you know obvious yep. reasons a very good um very good wizard to have in a hollow heart i've just basically used the knight in cantor from the magazine from the aos mm magazine um, yeah. and basically gave him a helmet so i've given him a vanguard um hunter helmet which is quite funny actually because it's all spiky and so mm. is his um staff so it looked like <laughs> it looks like they, they sort of <laughs> look together really and it was again it's a very yeah. simple head head swap kit bash uh, on mm. him uh i built a sorceress I, I bought a sorceress ages ago for this very project i bought it probably six months ago so the dark elf sorceress from well would have been obviously the the warhammer fantasy days uh what i mm. did is just to, again make her a little bit different is i re- as you know i recently built the nagaroth nightmares for blood bowl the dark elf team yeah. so i had a spare 
witch elf arm, which is basically holding a heart. So you you get yeah, two witch elf yeah. players, one, and you you got two alternative arms, one holding a heart and one like pointing basically. And obviously in the in the nightmares, I've done one of each. So the good thing is I had you know one of each spare as well. So so yeah, I just cut off half her arm and uh, stuck her. So rather than her just randomly pointing with her staff in the other hand, she's now holding a heart. And I thought. Well, nice. yep. that's cool. You know, it's, sort of, it's very fitting. So um, I then built the Lore Master. So the Lore Master mm. is not actually in production anymore. It's the It used to be, no. you know, an old High Elf model um, that was in the most recent cull before Cities of Sigmar came out. Uh, I remember yeah. buying him from Warhammer World, again, prior to the cull. <laughs> and so he's going to be a free guild general, rules-wise, because he's got a big sword. And so he's just going to be an elven free guild general. That's the plan mm. for him. So yeah. very, it's still a very nice model. Holds up really well. Oh, yeah. Um, I started building my Sisters of the Thorn. Again, I've had those for ages. Um, so Sisters of the Thorn. So that's the, the ladies on their, on their elk. No, not elks. They're, oh, what are they called? Well, I suppose they are elks, aren't they? Or stags. Mm. No, stags, aren't they? So, um, yeah. So I built the stags. And started building them. What I'm doing is I'm giving them the heads of the Wild Rider. Because uh, basically, if you get the Sister of the Thorn, the alternative build for them is the Wild Rider. So I'm giving them the masks yeah. of those just to make them a little bit cooler, really. So mm. they're coming along nicely. Um, I've also started building the uh, Excelsior War Priest. So again, that's a model yes. again. Out of production now, technically, mm. as in it doesn't have rules, but... I still have it from Warhammer Quest Silver Tower. Um, mm. So the only thing I haven't done is I've built him, and he's going to be potentially a battle mage stand-in. And he um, is built, again, apart from his head, I'm sort of, because you know, obviously we had a conversation, a few of us, including yourself, of what uh, head to give him. Um, I haven't settled on one yet. I've had some lovely suggestions, uh, including Ben Johnson of Games Workshop mm. even suggested something to me. <laughs> and, yeah, I haven't really decided what head. I want him to have basically like a mask or a helmet of some sort, mm. um, but I've not settled on it yet. So, and actually, some of them it's just because I don't have the head or mask that people are suggesting to try. So, I need to hunt some of these ideas down and then you know basically give it a try and see if it works out. So he's yeah he's almost finished, but uh, still a bit of a mm. work in progress. Um, and then probably my most ambition th- ambitious thing I built was my Nomad Prince. Now, um, what was quite nice, it's got like nice bit of um feedback from people so um what i did is i took the ideneth soul render so that's the one with yep. the big the big hook and lantern um if you're not mm. familiar and i thought well i built him because i had a spare one ages ago so i built him ages ago just just because i did and i obviously like i just said i've i'm selling all my brand new deepkin so i thought well i want to do something with this guy so i uh yeah i thought well let's see if i can turn it into a nomad print so what i've done is i've um on his big staff thing big spear thing i i uh Mm. i cut off all the the extra gubbins from it obviously cut the top of it off i then put on a spear tip from the wild riders because obviously i wanted to give it so basically i'm trying to give him a like a deepkin slash wanderers look um from a from yeah. a thematic point of view, he is a former Deepkin soul render that was raiding with the rest of his Deepkin party. Uh, he was caught all alone and he was saved by some fellow wanderers who happened to come across him and he has now become their leader. So that's how I sort of thematically mm. <laughs> pull them together. Yeah, um, awesome. Anyway, yeah, I just thought, 
well. he, he does actually he's turned out <laughs> a lot as a lot better than i was thought he was going to be so so i um what i did is again i just tried to get a bit rid of some of the like i said deepkin gubbins i got rid of the the little um swordfish thing that's on the side mm-hmm. i then repositioned his hair and then in his hair, I put a hawk because obviously, if you've a nomad prince, yeah. rule wise has a hawk. So the hawk is yeah. from uh, the Archaeon kit, actually. So if you've oh, got, really? yeah, it's basically it's part of his base. So as part of his base, you can have or or just below, sorry, just above his base, he's got you can hang mm. chains away from from the from the dragon. So I okay, and it yeah. comes with a few little birds basically which obviously just to to show scale i presume Mm. and yeah i put that on there and then i took one of the cloaks from the wild riders again from that sisters of thorn kit and Mm. put it on him um and yeah yeah, you know again very simple but he's yeah yeah, turned out really nice actually to be fair yeah um so yeah so he was good fun to work on again just a bit of a a lunchtime you know just spur of the moment <laughs> idea really well I th- actually i think it was on the work call at the time when i was sort of uh, well, it was coming together obviously the, the work call obviously wasn't that exciting and i think no. i just looked into my cabinet thinking, what can i do with that soul render <laughs> and, and that's what um, happened so yeah that's awesome so that's what i've been working on from a building perspective uh buying wise obviously some of that fits into it but yeah i'll just sort of look when i read look at it you know what i've written down here i'm like oh i've actually bought quite a bit <laughs> So, firstly, yeah. my prophecy of the wolf turned up. Hooray! Yay. So that's finally arrived. Obviously, you know now that things are are going from a, uh, you know, sending out GW products. So that's mm. turned up, which is nice. So um, again, I'm in the middle of City Sigma, so that's just going to be put aside for a moment. Yeah. Um, the next thing I bought uh, and started working on, and I was actually very pleased with them, is the Northmen Warriors. So the Northmen Warriors mm. are from are not from GW, controversial. No. Uh, they're from Fireforge Games. <laughs> um, but what's quite nice is they're basically a 28 mil heroic scale, you know, human soldier. Mm. You know, they, they look yeah. a bit get, bit Game of Thronesy, I would say as well. Uh, yeah. But they yeah. they fit the aesthetic of Free Guild Guard basically. Mm. Uh, really nice kit. It's plastic. Mm. Um, yeah. You get 12 of them in the box. You get a musician. Yeah. You get a standard bearer, mm. you know, a captain. Uh, you yeah. can either kit them out with with swords and shields or spears. Um, then mm-hmm. So basically, if you're doing them as free guild guard, the only thing you're missing is halberds. But I think there's actually yeah. a halberd upgrade kit for that uh, kit as oh. well, So, well, which is really bad. nice. Yeah. Um, I know, obviously, yeah. the sort of snag with these sort of things is where if you, you know, if you wanted to use them at GW or, you know, GW-related events, you, you know, you're probably not going to be able to use them. But realistically, uh, I'm probably not going to use them at that. <laughs> They're more going to be at local clubs and, and yeah, playing with friends. Yeah. So I'm not going to, yeah. you know, stress about that. But mm. I was really pleased with them. The, the detail yeah, on them is really cool. nice. Yeah. I, was, I like they, they've all got those, like, padded tunics kind of style yeah. armor yeah yeah, yeah I, I i think that's what appealed to me because uh no offense to the free guild guard that gw do mm. but i i'm not a fan of the guys in pajamas to be honest and <laughs> i i just wanted something a bit different um so yeah they're so and they're perfect and they're really well pro- they're sort of the same price uh yeah mm. so it, like i said if you're wanting to do something different free guild wise but you don't want the free guild of gw so look up five uh, fireforge games and mm. uh their northmen warriors i think they do cavalry and they do bowmen as well so you oh, know nice. they may be handy yeah. for 
other things as well. Um, what else? I bought at last. It's one of those sort of things where <laughs> you feel like you need to buy it, but you never get around to it. And that's Malign Sorcery. So that arrived mm. uh, yesterday. It's what obviously very yes. appropriate because obviously I'm doing mm. Hallow Heart. And again, yeah. it's one of those things where you, you really could do with it because, you know, if you're into AOS, they're handy for yeah. pretty much any army you collect within reason. Uh, but again, it's one of those things where it doesn't—it doesn't feel as cool to buy as buying some some nice unit for the army you're collecting. It feels like a, ah, mm. oh, I should get around to buying this, and yeah, so I did. So again, with the money I made from uh, selling all these other bits, <laughs> so so that's uh, nice. Uh, so I'll be building some of those. Uh, also, actually, it's a lot more economic because mm. I found that you know, obviously, realistically, there's only probably some spells in malign sorcery you want to use but if you go on ebay they still go for a lot of money some of them and if you sort of start totting it up you're thinking i might as well just buy the box set it's just a lot easier and cheaper so that's what i did uh at the same time i bought some shadow warriors again this was from Mm -hmm. alchemist workshops so shadow warriors uh, luckily they're one of those things which indie stores can sell um and again, they're handy with any cities of Sigmar army. So again, because I'm trying to go yeah. for like a human elf sort of combination. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got some Phoenix Guard on the way when GW finally send me the order. Um, so I've got some <laughs> Phoenix Guard again. Very good units have. Um, I bought uh, and it arrived the other day a High Elf Mage. Now this is from the mm. Island of Blood set that yes. um, was out uh, oh, a while ago. That. So yeah, lovely yeah. set. Obviously it goes for, you know, if you see the actual set itself it goes for quite a lot of money and Mm. but i luckily managed to be the only bidder on a uh still on sprue version of the high elf mage and i thought well Mm. you know that's going to be a battle mage because i'm going to need plenty of those so yeah uh, yeah so yeah so that's uh, another thing i bought um talking of battle mages now this was again a slightly different one i saw on ebay um someone was selling the individual sisters from the triumph of saint catherine in 40k so you know Uh, that um Mm. that uh, sort of diorama (laughs) slash model set um and obviously you know there's one of them which looks very battle magey in my opinion Mm. it's the one that's basically holding a staff with the big heart at the bottom at the top of it she's wearing a cloak and i thought well to be honest she just looks like a wizard with a little bit of armor on you know the, to be yeah. fair she's she's not that 40k like um so mm. i should be getting her any day now and again she will be another battle mage just to, again nice. just to be a bit different really um mm. i mm. i don't know what i'll do with her if i'll do any sort of converting with her yeah. it, i think i need to see the model first before i decide what to do obviously i'm going to try and get rid of anything any anything futuristic um but i think yeah. looking at the model it's very minimal so it shouldn't require much work really um so yeah so i have bought quite a few bits as well as part of this project really um so lastly uh reading wise um i have been reading soulbound um which i know we'll talk about in the news so we'll Mm. we'll save (laughs) we'll save it for that so i've been uh having a good read of that from the rules and the law perspective as well so that's been uh Mm. really good read um and i know i know you're sitting down cameron well, I'd expect you to be sitting down because yeah. obviously you're podcasting. Oh, no. I, uh, I podcast standing up. I do squats every word. Well, really no. how 2020 of, of you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, following on from us talking about Imperial Guard regiments last episode, I decided to mm. read a book about the Imperial Guard as well. So <laughs> I, I know, I know. 
Um, don't worry, I'm not going to start collecting them. Um, it, 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 I uh, decided to start reading Cadia Stands, uh, oh, okay. which was on sale on Kindle. Mm. It was like one ninety nine. Yeah. I thought, you yeah. know what, I, re- I want to read the second one just because I like the the artwork on it, which is Canadian Honor with that female Imperial mm. Guard, so uh, ca- yeah. you know, Cadian trooper Canadi- on it. Can- Canadian um, Honor. <laughs> sorry, did I say Canadian? <laughs> you said Canadian Honor. <laughs> well, I. The- <laughs> There may, that may be a. Uh, I, I thought I said Katie, but it's, yeah, the maple it's, uh, leaf flies. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's a thing. I don't know. And uh, maybe it's yeah. a rip off. Yeah. You know. But hey, if someone wants to do Canadian honor, um, but what I meant was Cadian honor. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Cadia stands not. <laughs> not Canada stand. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah, I'm, I'm probably about a quarter to a third of the way through it. And it's really good. Uh, I oh, mean, good. I, you know, you know, you know me, I bash on the Imperial Guard. It's slightly tongue in cheek. Um, yes. but it, the book has been, is really good. Um, and I'm thoroughly enjoying Excellent. it. So yeah. So my plan is read that and then I'll move on to mm. Cadian honor um yeah, yeah. <laughs> because i think there's a, there's the audio book of that as well around so i may pick that up as well so yeah so i've done a bit of reading but again i've been focusing on on wheeling and dealing mainly over the last mm, uh, mm. few weeks and it is good because i think you know sort of jokes aside i think it's mentally helped me with the with my, with the hobby as well because like i said i've had my you know ups and downs over the last few weeks yeah. just purely yeah. because of you know i've you know been in self-isolation like a lot of people since uh march so it's sort of you know it does mm. get to you so it's been nice to sort of you know focus you know reevaluate your your hobby side to you know keep yourself uh, ticking yeah. along really yeah. so yeah right awesome. okay so that's what we've been up to for the last few weeks we like i said we've mm. been busy boys which is always nice Absolutely. to hear yeah. <laughs> cool right okay well we'll take our first little break now um um when we return uh, we're going to get stuck into whatever news the Warhammer world has to tell us. Back soon. Right, time to discuss the news. So, yeah. Cameron, tell me what has been going on in that Warhammer goodness of news. Well, our first story today, Matthew, takes place in the 41st <laughs> millennium. Uh, I'm not going to do this bit for an entire segment. That's too much. Um, <laughs> we'll start off with Warhammer 40k, where there has been a rumbling and a tumbling and a whole lot of theorizing and excited scrabbling for, for answers, uh, <laughs> because... Uh, the Silent King is coming back, and mm. if you don't know that that's a big deal, hey, that's a really big deal. That's like if the Emperor woke up, yeah, <laughs> uh, for, from the Necron's point of view. That is, that is, that is the God Emperor standing up off the Golden Throne and going, right, let's sort this shit out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, all those rumors about Necrons uh, heralding the ninth edition of 40K really mm. starting to feel very accurate all of a sudden. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, so this is, this was a teaser, uh, a short teaser video narrated by, um, presumably the Silent King, or perhaps one of his minions, uh, <laughs> showing hieroglyphics scratched on a wall, um, the Necrons apparently see themselves as extremely buff, which I'm into, um, <laughs> <laughs> either that or they've somehow converted, uh, Space Marines into Necrons, because, yeah, mm, there's <laughs> beefy some beefy hieroglyphs, uh, but yeah, this is super exciting. The Silent King 
has kind of sort of been around in old bits of lore, but of course it's always possible that was like a stand-in simulacrum like uh, Trace in the Infinite does. But uh, he's a big deal. He yeah. either created or hates the Tyranids. We're not <laughs> sure what's going on there. Um, but uh, he claims to have, for example, known Sanguinius. And his proof yeah. being is he can make a perfect match of Sanguinius's face and wear it to meet Dante, leader of <laughs> the Blood Angels, which that's a power move if I've ever seen one. Um, <laughs> I'm really excited for this. Uh, there have been, like I said, there's been an infinite number of theories tossed around on the internet about what this means, um, what what the model will be like, because you don't imply a character's re- like this return without making a model for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, bet, bets at the moment are keyed into either it's just Catacross, but 40k, or it's the guy riding an annihilation barge, like a, like the, like the, um, Charon on the River Styx riding his deathly boat across the waters, and either <laughs> of those would be awesome. Um, <laughs> it, like, I, I cannot overstate how big this is. This seems like, it's not just going to be a Luminor Zeras. Uh, it seems like Necrons as a whole are going to be getting a ton of focus, which really good for them. They mm, need it. Yeah. They've got some. They've got some very old models. Um, mm. The basic Necron Warrior is nice enough, but really, really old. Um, yeah. Really, really weird looking in comparison to some of the more recent Necron stuff. Like this is super exciting. Um, I'm I'm here for the lore. I want to know what goes on with this. I want to know. <laughs> whether the Eldar successfully pit the Imperium against the Necrons, or whether the Necrons go, hey, Tyranids are a problem, guys, come help us out. <laughs> um, or uh, anything could happen. It's a mystery. I've seen a theory that we get a split between the Imperium and the Dark Imperium, where over on the light side, Gilliman teams up with the Eldar to survive, and over on the Dark Imperium, Dante teams up with the Necrons to survive, and then they go at loggerheads, because the Eldar and the Necrons hate each other. And that would be incredible. I doubt it's that. <laughs> But God, I would love that as the start to a secondary civil war of you allied with the wrong Xenos race, you allied with the wrong Xenos race. <laughs> it's yeah. it's so exciting. Yeah, it is. It's <laughs> uh, it, it's one of those where just one you know minute and a half video opens up mm. so much possibility. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah exactly. And obviously, we're gonna we're gonna see it soon because obviously, obviously mm. today's the seventeenth, and that trailer says the twenty third. So realistically, by the time this episode goes yeah. out you know yeah. within a day or so we're going to be seeing what this actually means so uh, Next yeah we'll be talking about this a lot i think and i'm really yeah excited. i think so. <laughs> i think so too and and like i said like you like you said comparing him to like the emperor coming down from the golden throne this is bi- this is mm. a big deal and yeah it, it's interesting to know what where they're heading with this because this mm. you, you're right it'd be it'd be weird if there's no model to go with this but what, yeah. what it, it, surely it's going to be a bit more than just a model for him because oh that, yeah you know because yeah. i don't believe i mean i could be wrong but i don't believe this is going to be in pariah i imagine this is going to be no. a step beyond pariah because obviously yeah. we're getting i said a new model for for pariah and that'll be all done and dusted so i don't think mm. i think this is you know, we and obviously what mm. a, a lot of the rumors are suggesting is this the connection yeah. to eight point five ninth edition, whatever that ends mm. up being. You yeah. know, is this going to be yeah. the new player, uh, new mm. player in the uh, the forty k 
before we get a universe you know yeah. we've we've had the imperium versus chaos and we you know before and obviously that's what eighth edition has been and you know are they now gonna you know prominently mm. put necrons at the forefront of the law and you know the the war so to speak yeah. so i feel you like know. it's a really good fit because mm. like necrons are the only race let, let's speak let's speak practically Re- necrons are the only race that can practically seal the great rift mm-hmm. like they're the ones who use Blackstone. They're the ones who, you know, stabilize the Eye of Terror and everything like that. Um, we know Cole's running around doing his best. He's not going to make it in time. <laughs> Necrons are, ironically enough, the galaxy's best hope, um, <laughs> which is crazy. But, like, yeah, the implications of this are huge. This is, between Zeras and the Silent King, these are the creatures that completely transform the Necrons into what they are yeah. now. The Silent yeah. King is the one who shattered and bound the Catan, mm. like, the god, some of the gods that, like, nearly destroyed the Eldar race and the old ones. These guys are crazy, and apparently they're coming back, and I'm like, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, can't wait to see where this goes. Exactly, that's why this is such a big deal. And and also, if, you know, if it depends what they do with the Necrons. If they make them an antagonist, and say they mm. wanted a, a Xenos antagonist to be the forefront, like I said, of, of the next yeah. edition of 40k, it, they might, they're, they're actually, the, choice. Uh, uh, just what I was about to say, they're, they're the logical mm. choice, because mm. if you think about it realistically, it's not going to be at the Eldari because there's just not enough of them to have an impact mm. really, you know, yeah. in the, in the law. They're obviously, they're a dying race still. You know, the Drakari are just, you know, they're happy doing their torturing shenanigans. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the craft worlds are barely surviving. The Harlequins got their own agenda. That's not really the whole mm. galaxy. Um, if you look at the orcs again, there's nothing, obviously nothing wrong with them doing it, but again, they're, they're not, they haven't really got a focus in that side. They're just happy, mm. happy crumping yeah. and fighting. And, you know, that's just, and they, they will yeah. always be there when there's a fight. And that's what they are there to do. Um, mm. the Tau again aren't big enough, like as a, as a, as a yeah. race. There's just not enough of them to, to have such an impact. And I just don't, mm. I couldn't see mm. them being the forefront. But when it, I said when it, and, the, and obviously from a Tyranid point of view, yes, obviously they could be a massive threat, uh, and are a massive threat, but obviously from a story perspective, they're hard to write about because you can't really mm. write about them, to, you know, talking about themselves and the, you know, they're, yeah. they're a hot, yeah. they're, they're, they're a different type of antagonist. Whereas the Necrons are perfect because, you know, they're sentient. There's a, a ridiculous amount of them is obviously a lot of mm. them are still haven't woken up yet. Obviously yeah. characters like the silent King have been away and can come back, mm. you know, and it fits in yeah. with how the story's gone with them. Um, mm. Yeah. I think they're perfect and to be an antagonist really and good. good. Mix it up. And to, build on, and to build on that, when you're ready to move on to a new antagonist, have a Catan break free, take mm. half the Necrons back under its control, and then the Necrons can't focus on anyone else, any, anyone else anymore. They're busy trying to recapture their own, like, uh, their own species because the Catan got loose and got in control again, like the old law where Necrons mm. are just slave robots, basically. Yeah. And, yeah, this, yeah they, they've got a clear arc of potential threat. And I think, yeah, the same as you, basically. They're going to be a great antagonist. I hope they are. Mm. Um, if they end up being, like, a proto-protagonist... That mm. They're sort of half, half along with the Imperium. That's still a really cool and interesting story. Um, Definitely, yeah. Well, well that's yeah. sort of the that's the sort of line that the Eldari have taken for a long time, mm. where they, you know, yeah. there's moments where they're teaming up with the, you know, with the Imperium, like bringing Gilliman back, and then mm. there's moments where they're fighting them. You know, it's it's yeah. that yeah. you know uneasy relationship, and this could be a, mm. another one, I think. 
Yeah, absolutely. Alternatively, mm. why would they ally themselves with with ants? Literal ants beneath their feet. What, you aren't even 50 million years old? What are you? Get out of here. Um, <laughs> yeah, either way, this is going to be so cool. Uh, next episode, we will have much more to talk about re- with mm-hmm. regards to it, I'm sure. Uh, yep. But for now, it's just super exciting from a story perspective. Again, uh, things I like about New Games Workshop, the story does move forward. Like, yes. a new Necron release a couple of editions ago would have been, you know, oh, cool, here's some new models, and they're fighting in these locations now, but it's still 999M41 on the stroke of midnight. Um, here we <laughs> are. Uh, but here we are, the stories move forward. We've had Psychic Awakening showing, like, what happened in the hundred-odd years that Gilliman was crusading across the galaxy. We've got new threats and new theories moving into as to what's going to happen next. I'm really excited. Yeah. Um... Yeah, uh, speaking partially about Eldari and other things like the Harlequins, mm. uh, we've also gotten a look at Psychic Awakening for the Harlequins. Again, uh, as a reminder, the Death Watch and the Harlequins got left out of the Psychic Awakening books because Games Workshop doesn't love them. Uh, this isn't true. <laughs> I'm sure plenty of people at GW love them. Um, I still really feel like part of this is down to something to do with the pandemic, just mm. messing up scheduling completely. Yep. Um because like there's there's other places where they could have been slid in, and there's just it hasn't they they would be an okay book together, I think. Uh, but instead, we're getting them uh, in White Dwarf. The Death Watch one was kind of underwhelming. It was nice. Mm-hmm. It brought them Definitely. up to parity, but didn't actually give them anything unique at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just got the generic space marine stuff. The Harlequins one is super cool. Um, it is. <laughs> it's very cool. It's very inventive. Um, the basics of it is, you, first off, you're getting some new stratagems, which is nice. Uh, but each type of character you can take in a Harlequins army, if your army is Battleforged, can be assigned a special role that replaces mm. one of their base abilities with a new one. Um, and that's really cool. Uh, they are all pretty good like there's a decent there's a section of three or four for each uh character type i believe some of them are really good Mm. um like the the troop master if it uh every time it fights you can choose one unit it made an attack at to automatically suffer two model wounds after it fights uh attack doesn't have to hit or anything like that doesn't have to do damage um and because he can fight twice you can, say, run him into an enemy character and an enemy squad, have him decimate the squad and still deal four mortal wounds to the character. Yeah. <laughs> like, straight up, all that kind of cool stuff. Um, mm-hmm. the, the ones for the Death Jesters, a lot of fun as well. There's um, it's a combo that I've worked out where with one of the new relics and one of the new Death Jester traits, you could do, I think it was like 32 damage to a, a one-wound horde of models with a Death Jester, which is... <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Um, and also, yeah, there's, the, that really, the, mm. there's, say, there's that really cool uh, one they've got where they can basically shut down Overwatch on things as well, I've, mm. from memory. Yeah. Like you can shut it you down can, on like knights and things yeah. like that. You, and, can, you can pin a unit to stop it overwatching and slow that, its movement. Yeah, yeah, there's some really, really good stuff. And I, I think what I like mm. about these pivotal roles as well is the fact that you've got the choice of either it replacing the base ability mm. or you can pay CP to add yeah. it to addition, what they've already got. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a Which really good so touch. Good. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it seems decently powerful, but not crazy. It's super flavorful. Of mm. course, you should be able to customize your players to your, your play, your literally your actors to play certain roles. Uh, like you, you could set up a story Harlequin army where over the course of the game, I tell a story 
by fighting your army and actually have it mean something because you know what the roles are and stuff, which is cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's super, it's super unique. There isn't really another army that does this, like changing rules on the data sheets to change how the character works, uh, or adding new rules if they're doing double duty and performing two roles, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that- it, it's I, super cool. <laughs> yeah, I think I said I think if you're a Harlequin player, you'll be very happy uh, mm. with what they've been given because, like, like you said, it's all flavoursome. It's really impacting their characters, which obviously you know are a big deal, all of them. And it just mm. it just gives them makes them nice and flexible as well. And also, yeah. It, yeah. it's gonna the the, the thing that's gonna appeal is is the fact for other Eldari players because obviously a lot of people. Uh, who do Jakari or Craftworlds will often have a battalion or so of of Harlequins in there, yeah. but not necessarily Yunari as well. So yeah. yeah, you know, it's just it just gives you options really, and mm. that's always a good thing yeah, really. Exactly. So and obviously, mm. and I think yeah, the White Dwarf should be pretty much out now. Uh, like I said, it's mm. obviously leaked out yeah. the, all these rules, but so yeah, for and also let's be honest, I know. Obviously, some people probably were a bit funny about the rules being in in White Dwarf as mm. opposed to having their own psychic awakening book. But then look at yeah. the positives; it's a cheap way of getting the rules. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, hey, I forgot something in my hobby section. I bought the previous episode of White Dwarf for the Necromunda rules in it, and I read it, and it's a good issue. You should buy it and read it. Um, hey, <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew I forgot something because I bought it. I bought it digitally. That's why I forgot. Ah, <laughs> that's fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, these are, these are super cool. Uh, I really want to see a few battle reports with them because I think there's some interesting stuff to be done with like more competitively minded, uh, players here. Uh, yeah. And I'm glad at least one of the White Dwarf Psychic Awakenings was super good and cool yeah. as opposed to good, but not really interesting in mm. the case of the Death Watch. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. We'll move over to the Mortal Realms. Mm. Um, Hey, what's shaking, everyone? The coolest, hottest new role-playing game uh, just dropped. It's Soulbound. We've <laughs> mm-hmm. both got copies. Thank you, yes. Google 7. We love Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, yep. We'll be using those soon, I'm sure, because, mm-hmm. damn, this is a cool book. It's got great setting material. It seems like a really fun game. I like how you make the characters. I like how easy it seems to be to be able to mod in new archetypes. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of discussion about making Dark Elf Assassins using the Witch Elf stat block and changing some talents around. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It just seems super cool. I have not dived in super deep yet, so I'm going to let you drive this one a little more because I think you've read more than me. Um, yeah, I've, I've, again, I've read sort of bits and bobs really. I, um, I, I, it, it's one of those where I've tried to not read too much of the rules because obviously I'm mm. in the middle of playing AOS D and D and I'm still <laughs> yeah. new to that. So I'm trying not to read mm. too much otherwise. So I don't confuse myself in my yeah. old age. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's looking, it's looking really like a really good, simple rule set. Um, I love yeah. some of the, um, like I said, the archetypes of the characters. There's some really cool ones in there. And they're like, you know, like you can be a Sylvaneth, you know, waypiper and things like that. There's some really sort of, yeah. you know, niche ones in there. And yeah, and I, I like, I love the artwork in there. The artwork mm. is absolutely gorgeous. Um, and the one thing that, like I said, that really did take me aback, which I shouldn't be really, but was the, the <laughs> lore in it. The lore is fantastic, yeah. you know, because obviously, let's be honest, when you look at these books, you're looking at it purely generally from a rule perspective, like, oh, what type of game is this? Uh, how can I play it? Uh, with my yeah. friends, uh, whereas, you know, sometimes the law can be a bit, feel a bit second, you know, uh, second part to it. Uh, and it's really mm. good so much that, 
realistic we're going to do an episode on it when we talk about the oh, great yeah. parch in it um yeah. so um the good thing is obviously what you know cubicle seven are doing is that the basically the physical copies have gone up for pre-order uh if you pre-order one you get a copy of the pdf for free basically mm-hmm. and yeah. and straight away um obviously yeah. cubicle seven were good enough to send us pdf copies of it anyway so uh so look out for us hopefully playing it in the in the near future uh i think mm. our plan is you know in our group that's playing aos D that when that finishes we may jump onto soulbound so uh mm. yeah, yeah i i think yeah it's um it's looking really nice um the, yeah. only, the only thing is yeah. i'm i'm hoping which is what i think they said they're going to do is that if you've got hold uh, hold of the pdf version it's a bit slow um, when you're, mm. you know, flicking pages through, and I think they're going to try and update it in some way uh, to make it a bit quicker. So if you're getting, okay. you know, if you're thinking yeah. it's a bit laggy, um, they're mm. aware of it and will hopefully uh, sort yeah. it as well. So yeah. no, they've done yeah. a fantastic job from what I've seen. Obviously, people are already mm. starting to play it. You know, uh, friends of the community. Yeah. So we'll see. You know, I, I may look to mm. watch a few YouTube videos and see how <laughs> you know how people are, uh, are getting on with it. Obviously cubicle seven are the ones that took over uh wrath and glory mm. the 40k yes uh tabletop yeah. one that used to be done by was it ulysses spiel yeah, I, ulysses I think spiel. um yeah was the the previous company so uh so yeah they it looks like they're doing a really good job because obviously they have mm. rejigged wrath and glory as well since they've taken over yes. it they've done their own version yes. of it as well so yeah i think mm. they're doing a really good job of it and i'm mm. i'm yeah, um, really impressed with what I've seen of Soulbound, um, and also, mm. like I said, it, I, the art is that book is worth mm. looking through. Just the <laughs> art of it is fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so I think, especially mm. if you're an, even if you're a narrative player, not necessarily of tabletop, mm. but you, you know of AOS, the the te- you know the game itself is. Yeah. I think you'd get quite inspired from reading the stuff in there. There's some really good little bits of uh, of nuggets of lore. So um, yeah. Mm. You know, I think yeah, people should yeah. take interest in it. Absolutely. Um, and they're doing a great job with the community as well, because I'm actually on the Age of Sigma RPG subreddit, and one of the, I think he's the community manager, uh, goes by Emitation on there, but uh, he's mm-hmm. got, like, an FAQ th- thread and, like, a typo thread where the community can, you know, say, what about this, or you've spelt this wrong, etc., and they're taking all that... Um, sort of under consideration for future edits on things <laughs> um and uh, answering the faqs which is really good like people can be like i don't understand how these things work and he'll just reply and go oh it works like this i think that sounds about right let's do it that way <laughs> yeah i don't so think that's a good way yeah. that's a good way of doing it because i think you know and i'm a perfect example of it when you when you've never mm. really played tabletop games or you're not familiar with them it, it can be quite intimidating because obviously you, know, oh, yeah. you get these Absolutely. you get these books they're three four hundred pages long i know mm. a lot of it is is the you know obviously the monster section and obviously the law but you know it's still quite intimidating yeah. and yeah uh, you know so i think if you can do little things that you know get people playing um which i think again not being an expert at it but obviously fifth edition D D. People always praise it for being a very accessible version of D and D, yeah. and I must admit, yeah. you know, as someone that's really recently got into it, I'm finding it, you know, quite <laughs> straightforward. So I think that's the approach they've taken with Soulbound as well. You know, so mm. without looking at yeah. the, you know, without absorbing too many of the rules, it looks like it's quite a straightforward one to to pick up and yes. play, which is great. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so we're going to move, continuing into Age of Sigma, I should say, blah, 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 not move out of it. I'm very good at the news. <laughs> Uh, we're going to talk about Lumineth. There's actually something you missed here. Mm. Oh, 
Oh wait, you might not have missed it. Um, you might have put it in the Black Library section. Is the Infinite and Divine the Illumineth Realm Lords book? No. <laughs> oh, hey, hey, there's a Lumineth Realm Lords novel coming out, like, with yeah. the release of the Battle Tome. Oh, sorry, um, yeah, I did, yeah, sorry, I didn't put that in, <laughs> in the show notes. I was okay, yes. I was just scrolling through Warhammer Community to find the Endless Spells page. I was like, oh, yeah, there's a book as well. Yeah, um, I thought I put that yeah. in the in the other bit. Don't worry, yeah, it's, it's just me. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's things good. happen. It's all good. <laughs> um, so, we, we've, seen, we've seen the Lumineth Realm Lord Endless Spells, and they look pretty cool. Uh, so we've got three endless spells, as is tradition. Um, they look very interesting. Let's put it that way. Um, mm. So we, we've got uh, the this one. The one I think is the most interesting gameplay-wise is the circle, uh, is the Sanctum of Amintok, uh, which is like three bases that you can place to form like a circle around mm-hmm. the unit, basically. Um, and we were getting a little lore here. So this is like the life force of the realm pouring out of the ground to make a shield around a unit, unit. Um, and it's got a little rune on it, uh, Ingra, which can mean rescue or imprisonment. Um, <laughs> uh, which is, this is really good. Basically, um, you, it surrounds a model and you get minus one to hit that model and that model gets plus one to its saves. Really good. And at the end of the combat phase, if the model was targeted by enemy attacks, each enemy unit within three inches on a four on a four to five takes a model wound, or on a six takes D three model wounds. It's pretty mm. good. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know what else to say. It seems like a solid lock down your wizard, make sure they can't get hurt kind of spell. <laughs> yeah, uh, and of course, super pretty because uh, God, I, I don't know if this is all the paint job in these, but these look really great. Mm. Like, they're very bright and colourful. I love them. Uh, we have... The next one is the Hysian Twin Stones, which are these two gems sort of circling around each other in the air. Uh, let's see. And these... These these are interesting. Uh, they act as sort of reservoirs of magical energy and charge each other up. Uh, and a Lumineth Realm Lord's Wizard can draw on them to enhance their spellcasting. Uh, so when you set this, this spell up, you put a D6 next to it with the 1 facing up. Every time a unit within 12 inches casts a spell without it being unbound, after the spell's resolved, you increase the value on that die up to 6. Uh, if a Lumineth Realm Lord's Wizard attempts to cast a spell within 12 inches of it before they make the casting roll, they can say that they will draw on the power of the Twin Stones. If they do so, add the value of the dice next to the uh, spell to the casting roll. Then after the effects have been resolved, the dice goes back down to 1. So it's sort of like a magic battery. Yeah, it's a mana which, pool, isn't it? It's really good. Yeah, yeah. It's really strong as well if you've got a couple of wizards, like, over a couple of turns, you could say, okay, I really need this spell. I'm going to add plus six to my cast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm definitely <laughs> going to get this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, again, very thematic. Makes sense. They're mm, pulling from literally yeah. the, you know, the uh, the earth and the uh, the realms around them, which is sort of mm. where they seem to be going with their lore. So, no, I think that's a really thematic. And, and it's yeah. good, but not, it's, it's powerful, but not silly powerful either yeah i mean yeah like it's... you need to charge it up and yeah. everything so it's not crazy no exactly mm. yeah although technically technically you could just cast it and always use it uh to get plus one to your casting yeah yeah which yeah. is again but then not bad you know, it's but, not bad, yeah. but then if you look at Hallow Heart, you can get like, you know, plus five, plus sixes and oh, yeah. all sorts. So it's not, that's what I mean. It's, it's cool. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, that's a handy mm-hmm. thing, but it's not silly, yeah. powerful either. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and the third one is the Rune of Petrification, which is my favorite, like visually of the lot. 
because it's just this mountain rune hovering menacingly in the air. Um, <laughs> and, it, and it's meant to be menacing. Uh, so it's basically a bunch of pebbles as- assembled into a mountain rune on tendrils of energy. Even the Lumineth don't like this. Um, <laughs> it can- apparently cannot easily be dispelled once released, uh, mm. which is interesting, which uh, I feel will be another rule on its sheet. We've only got one rule from each of these spells. Uh, basically... Nearby enemies begin turning to stone around this rune. Uh, so at the start of the movement phase and at the end of the movement phase, which is interesting, uh, roll a dice for each unit within six inches of this model. On a four up, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds and subtracts one from run and charge. And in addition, regardless of whether take the wounds, uh, you have to subtract one from run and charge rolls for units within six inches of this model. But this has no effect on Lumineth Realm Lord units. Yeah. Uh, it is interesting that this happens at the start and end of the movement phase. Which mm. means this happens four times per turn, because mm. um, it happens in both movement phases, yeah. uh, which is pretty good. Um, you can slow down the em- enemy army, and if you just lob it in the middle of a bunch of them at the start of the movement phase, some of them are going to take damage. At the end yeah. of the movement phase, they probably haven't gotten far away, uh, far enough away. They're going to take more damage. <laughs> Um, and it, yeah, it's good. It's also probably a predatory spell, so you can probably move it around and um, mess with it, uh, which is even better because it doesn't matter if the opponent moves it too much because it doesn't affect your units. So do whatever you want. Um, (laughs) yeah, these, these all seem like you said, good, but not crazy. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. They're cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and as as a writer on that, we're getting a Lumineth Realm Lords novel. Uh, I yeah. guess they learned from the Ideneth Deepkin one that took like a year to release after the army came out that people <laughs> want to know more. Uh, and if it's, hey, if it's of similar quality, I'm into it. Um, yeah. The little excerpt in that article sounds really good, honestly. Yeah. It's like about how they get overcome by the elemental energies in battle and all that kind of thing. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be a contender for something we may cover in the future as well, as we always mm. like these sort yeah. of books. So, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm interested. Yeah. Mm. Um, speaking of things to talk about on the show in the future, we're going into the other category. We're going to start mm. with Black Library. Brutal Cunning by Mike Brooks has been officially announced. We are getting an orc novel Yay. from the point of view of an orc by an orc for an orc. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Sorry, Mike Brooks. Um, I already like Mike Brooks a lot. He writes some really nice uh, Necromunda stuff. He does. An orc, I believe it's an orc freebooter's point of view uh, of an inter-orc conflict is something I really want to see, and so I'm really <laughs> looking forward to this. <laughs> Just, we, we don't get basically all the 40k fiction, or I should say almost all the 40k fiction is uh, from the Imperium's perspective. There's a bit of Eldari stuff, there's a bit of Chaos stuff, uh, there's a decent bit of chaos stuff, actually, I should say. Uh, but the majority of it is, like, human or, like, at least understandable in the form of the Eldar cultures-centric. Mm-hmm. Uh, orcs are crazy football hooligans with guns. Uh, <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to see... And Just, you know, when you're watching a movie, you're like, why would you do that? Why would you just burst in there without thinking, this is an orc book. I'm going to say that so much reading this and go, go oh, yeah. wait, no, he's an orc. He's allowed yeah. to. Of course he did. Of course he kicked down the door screaming and firing his gun on full auto. <laughs> he's being sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's good that they're willing to sort of branch out more into this sort of stuff because I think, mm. it, well, it's personally speaking, and and I th- probably same for other people is I think we've been craving this sort of stuff as well, you know, because yeah. like we said, the the Baltimore can get a bit tiresome 
at times, mm. really, where it's nice yeah. to, to see things <laughs> from other perspectives. Mm. I mean, yeah. Mike Brooks particularly. Where's my shoot I mean, upon? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, with, like talking to Mike Brooks, you know, he did um, Rites of Passage, which was a novel about mm. the navigator houses. Totally different yeah. to anything else that that's out there, and that's why it's you know a perfect sort of book to read when you want to, you know, you want to read some forty k or AOS, um, but you mm. want something a little bit different to the the you know the usual sort of eighty percent out there, really. And yeah. we're sort of seeing yeah. it with with these novels we're about to talk about. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then we have the infinite and the divine, which now that I'm remembering properly, if memory serves, is about Necrons, isn't it? Yes. Yes. It's by, yes. um, Robert Ra- Wraith or Wrath. He, um, mm. from memory, he's the one that wrote, uh, the, um, the Garden of Mortal Delights, that little short story oh, about really? the Slanesh, you know, Sylvaneth. Oh, which is one of my favourite short stories. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that's one of my favourite of those little short stories. So, Mm. yeah, I think this is his first proper full, you know, Black Library novel. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. high expectations (laughs) on this one. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, hey, Necrons, more Necrons right now in this atmosphere, of course. Yeah. It seems a bit too much of a coincidence. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Uh, and, uh, as we all know, the Blackstone Fortress board game is sort of wrapping up, it seems to be. So we're getting a novel, uh, we're getting Blackstone Fortress Ascension, hmm. uh, to sort of round out the story of, uh, Yanis Drake and all his motley crew of companions. Um, I am interested to read this. The first Blackstone Fortress novel was pretty good. Honestly, hmm. I quite liked yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, will, I'm, if we get to see the giant merchant cat, from the uh, from precipice again. I'm going to read this book, even if it's just for that that big weird <laughs> cat Xenos selling stuff in, yeah. in in the middle of a market in precipice. So like, yes, yeah. give more more weird more weird fringe of the galaxy stuff. I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we'll see we'll see what exactly has got all those giant drones so ticked off. Yeah, um, presumably it's Obsidious Malix. It's always Obsidious Malice. <laughs> uh, yeah. Dang, chaos um, getting in the way. <laughs> that's by um, Darius Hinks as well, and he wrote mm. the first one as well. So one. he's obviously yeah. got to carry it on, which is good. Mm, yeah, looking forward to that. Um, <clears throat> and hey, uh, it's we're due for an old world update. Last time, I'm pretty sure we saw the Kislev Ice Maidens, the sort of warrior wizard uh, guardians to the Tsarina of Kislev. Uh, and this time, we're seeing heavy cavalry of a kind that I've never seen before and I want to see more of. We're seeing the <laughs> Kislev Bears. Yes. Of course, of course, the Russian equivalent in Warhammer Fantasy rides enormous polar bears into battle. What else would they do? Yeah. <laughs> um, and they no. look great. Uh, from yeah. the, we got three, uh, three concept sketches and they, they look like they're gonna be good. What else can I say? These are still years away, but damn if this isn't an interesting setup. Um, still really interested to know what outside of the Empire might be happening in that. Bring back Tomb Kings. Yeah, um. I mean, <laughs> it, it sort of suggests that as well is that they are going that it feels like the more we see that the more the old world is going to be focused on a particular part of the empire slash a mm. particular time within the empire as well. You know, it's not yeah. going to be just all yeah. encompassing. It's going to be quite narrowed down, which is probably a good thing because yeah. they they can properly 
you know, concentrate. They can add new stuff as well because mm-hmm. they're going to want to do that. Yeah. They're not going to want to just redo everything that was in the old world, uh, as in Warhammer Fantasy itself, because you know, that would just be Warhammer Fantasy again, whereas that's not what well, yeah. it feels this yeah. is about, really. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, bring it on. And and I must admit, there's every time we see an update from the old world, it makes me laugh because of, obviously, the reaction you get from people as well, I must admit. Mm, it's it's amusing yeah. that, because some people are very, you know, it kicks off that high versus low fantasy, you know, that yeah. Warhammer Fantasy yeah. versus AOS <clears throat> uh, conversation, mm. which I will save... For a Warhammer waffle, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Next time we do a Warhammer yeah. waffle, I'm going to talk oh, about this. <laughs> All I'll say is that, listen, if you think the old world was low fantasy, you're kidding yourself. They had, exactly. like, steamships and stuff. It's exactly. Fine. But, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll save that conversation <laughs> yeah, for we'll another day, I think. <laughs> but they look cool. They're Alrighty. bears. War bears. War yeah. bears are cool. War bears with <laughs> drunk Russians riding them into battle. Of course, they're awesome. Um, yeah, uh, and that's the news. We mm. had a significant uptick in the amount of news this fortnight, so I'm glad for that. Um, yeah. Hopefully, in the next couple of weeks, we'll see about Games Workshop maybe beginning to reopen actual stores. Uh, but if not, at the very least, next time we'll have lots to talk about with the Silent King and maybe some AOS stuff. Who knows? Um, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that's that. That's the segment. Cut it, Matt. I will. So we're going to take our <laughs> next little break now, and when we return... We're going to go to the 40k universe, and guess what? There's only war. Back soon. Welcome back. It's time to talk about fighting. Fighting in the 41st millennium. So, <laughs> for this main law topic today, like I said earlier, we're going to basically give an overview of some of our favourite or cool wars that have happened in in the 40k uh, that you may or may not be familiar with. Uh, we're going to do two each, so we'll alternate between them. Um, sit back, relax, get that paintbrush, have a drink, yeah, and ready to absorb a nice little (laughs) history lesson so um i've one thing i noticed actually with my two actually is that they've got Mm. a theme and that's they've both got tyranids in them as well (laughs) oh my god are you kidding both of mine have tyranids (laughs) really did we wait hold on i've got to check the ones you said you picked just in case i actually picked the same ones right i (laughs) Well, just uh, my first totally one is didn't. the is the o- Octarius is the Octarius War, um, mm. and my second one is the Fall of Shadowbrink. Okay, no, we are doing two different ones. Ah, there <laughs> we go. That's fine. I'm doing the Battle of Macrag and the Battle of Eanton. There we go. We're fine. Woo! <laughs> we, we just randomly both picked Tyranids for some reason. <laughs> I think there's something to say here that cool battles involve Tyranids. I think <laughs> that's mm, just yeah. Just put it out there. Of cool overview battles involve Tyranids. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, now now we're over that stressful moment. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So let's kick it off. Let's start, like I said, with the Octarius War. So this is a war that focuses between the Octarius Orc Empire. And they are fighting High Feet Leviathan of the Tyranids. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. picture the scene. 
It's late 41st millennium, and Hive Fleet Leviathan is tearing its way through the Imperium. And uh, obviously, the Imperium at this point are struggling for ideas on how to deal with the threat, because mm. let's be honest, Tyranids on your doorstep is never a good thing. Aha! Luckily, Inquisitor Cryptman is on hand and comes up with a clever idea. Why try to deal with the danger yourself when there are perfectly good orcs nearby looking for a fight? So, the orcs in question were that of the orc empire of Octarius. So, this being an empire, just for context, being on the on the scale of Ultramar size, and this empire is like. Yeah, it's it's big, and it's located in Ultima Segmentum. So, Inquisitor Cryptman basically kicks off his plan by going to a place called uh, Cartharpia, uh, which is basically a labyrinth world in Segmentum Tempestus, uh, with the the plan to capture some live gene stealers using the help of the Death Watch, of course. Uh, so despite heavy losses, they managed to pull it off, managed to, to steal some, <laughs> some uh, steal live some gene stealers. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and basically use their new cap, you know, the new things that they've captured to plant them on the Space Hulk, which is called the uh, Perdition's Flame. Okay, which I think is the name of one of the horror stories recently. Um, I could yeah. be wrong on that. I'm pretty sure there's one. Sounds right. A Warhammer yeah. horror, anyway. Um with the idea being to push the Hulk, thanks to destroying the moon of Geist, towards the direction of the Orc. So put the Gene Steers on the Space Hulk, destroy the nearby moon. That basically, you know, pushes the Space Hulk towards the Orcs. And obviously the plan is then the Gene Steers would wake up, create a psychic beacon, uh, obviously yeah. then alert in a tendril of, of the Hive Fleet, and then basically push the enemies closer together. <laughs> basically yeah. go, go get them, go sense. get them over here. Yeah. Go get them, boy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So as the Hulk got closer to the Octarius Empire, looters came aboard, obviously, uh, for treasure, uh, only yeah. to be inadvertently impregnated by the gene stealers. This in turn basically spread the infection across the sector uh, with its destruction the responsibility of boss of uh, sorry boss zag uh, sorry zag struck and his vulture squad because so, obviously they realized that this we could get out of hand uh he was successful but along came leviathan at this point thanks to the signal yeah. that i mentioned earlier so blacktooth who is the current overfiend of octarius because that's basically how octarius works as an empire that it has an overfiend and like i said blacktooth being the one at the time he decided to counterattack the Leviathan uh, tyrannies that decided to turn up on the doorstep, but obviously couldn't stop many of the worlds inadvertently being affected. So the next target for the tyrannids was the planet of Oroch, um, formerly an imperial world, um, as mm. and that started off with millions of uh, spores, you know, flying from the sky. The uh, the orcs defended as quickly as they could, as you know, as gaunts came smashing into their lines, and basically an all-out war kicked off so you've got squigs fighting rippers gaunts fighting boys war bosses and knobs taking on tyranid warriors and carnifexes even squigglots mm. are fighting bio titans it's like full nice. scale kicking off on auric um it wasn't just the huge troops that were dealing it out with each other even on a cellular level the phage mm. cells of the tyranids were absorbing the orcoid spores so even on a manette you know <laughs> by on a biological uh, sort of level they were fighting each other mm. so uh, yeah. ultimately yeah. this led to the orcs being outnumbered 
which is obviously saying something for them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and eventually all the orcs were killed and consumed as uh, biomass. So after orc had been uh, taken out, uh, a planet called Goralia was next. So this is the home of the Scar Fleet, led by pirate war boss Scarfang. Uh, he was more prepared than obviously the the planet of Orc. Um, he was more prepared because basically he used his ships and the minefields that were basically hidden in the asteroid belt around the planet uh, to start taking out the Tyranid bioships. However, mm. as per something out of a movie, a single ship mm. managed to break through the hurtling thousands uh, of uh, spores in the pro in you know in the in the process of doing that. So this one ship got through to the planet, and obviously Scarfang realised right, I need to get back down to the surface. There's no point to staying up here in space. So Mm. planet side, the roles were quite reversed in the sense that the orcs were outnumbering the Tyranids at this point, uh, which Mm. basically caused a war of of adapting, I would say, because basically the Tyranids Mm. knew they were outnumbered. So what they decided to do was stealthily pick off orc patrols until the the patrols were basically too large for them to to deal with. So slowly taking them out. Um, So obviously they realized the patrols were getting too big. uh, So they changed tactics again. So what they decided to do was fight the orcs in the open and basically, so fight them for a bit and then retreat just at the last minute before being overwhelmed. And obviously the the Mm. tactic behind this was to hide until nighttime when they would basically use their synapse creatures to feed on the orc tyranid corpses and in tone in sorry in turn they were slowly increases in the numbers so have a bit of a fight with the orcs obviously some orcs would die some tyranids would die then they would retreat like to caves and such like it would be night time and then they would use the biomass from the corpses to make numbers so in in theory there was sort of a war of attrition but they were slowly actually gaining numbers rather than losing numbers so being and so obviously now they were a bit more confident as in the tyrannies were a bit more confident now because their numbers were increasing they decided then to get a bit you know a bit more confident and attack larger gatherings of orcs and then in turn that gained more resources so they were so it was basically a snowball effect happening so eventually scarfang entered the battlefield because there's fighting going on <laughs> he wants to get yeah. stuck in so yeah. help and obviously in turn he helps to inspire the orc counter-attack, because obviously leading his boys into battle. So the tyranny reaction at this point was to create lictors to basically assassinate mm. Scarfang, uh, which he managed to fend off for a while, because basically he had his protective squig hounds <laughs> keep, <laughs> keeping guard at all times. Uh, so the next idea from the Tyranids to try and take him out was to use Hormigants to tease him out, and then basically with the similar to what they'd done before, with the Tyranids retreating at the last minute. Um, and obviously he was getting really annoyed by this because he's like, I really want to fight. And then they'll fight for a bit and then they would back away. So this happened <laughs> 10 times. And on the 10th oh, time, God. he was really pissed off <laughs> at this point. <laughs> he, just wants to, he just wants a crump in. So he then decided to chase the Tyranids, which is obviously what they wanted. Um, so he chased them. Um, and as they retreated, he got in there. They got in their battle wagons, their war trucks, and obviously chased after him, which obviously ended Mm. up being a trap. The orcs became covered in fog from the the venom thropes, uh, with orcs either sort of choking to death or crashing their vehicles because they couldn't see. And basically the the fog clears uh, with an angry and lonely Scarfang left surrounded (laughs) and then obviously in turn ripped apart by the the lictors that have finally been trying Mm. to take him out. Uh, (laughs) This led to the orc resistant folding because obviously they had no leader due to infighting and things like that so the 
Tyranids obviously took advantage of this and then slowly, again, over the next few weeks, picked them off one by one. So basically, like the planet of Auric, no walks were left and the planet was fresh to be turned into biomass. So same story in the end. Um, finally, the war comes to the planet itself of Octarius. Obviously, as you'd imagine, the Overfiend is on here as well he's a bit more prepared because obviously he'd, he'd seen what had happened on the previous planets so as the tyranid spores came down the orcs reveled in the battle to come they were really up for mm. it and they were using their quad guns and their flakadaka guns to basically destroy the spores so you imagine there's just spore you know spore juice and guts you know mm. everywhere <laughs> flying from the <laughs> sky so you got swarms of gargoyles decided to come from the west so the orcs decided to use death copters fighter bombers and storm boys to counter attack with those uh, again led to corpses xenos ica and scrap basically mm. falling everywhere from the sky it was absolute bedlam so <clears throat> excuse me the uh, the boys on the ground were itching for the fight which they got in the, in the shape of gene stealers bursting out of the tunnels uh, but <laughs> the, the orcs were up for the challenge you know pushing them back into the point of <laughs> pushing them back into the tunnels and then jumping into the tunnels to fight them <laughs> you know very much the orc way of doing things so as this mm. was going on uh orc gun emplacements were being taken out by lictors one by one which then you know obviously doubled the amount of spores coming down from the sky because obviously there's less guns to take them out mm. so at this point the orcs and the tyrid numbers are on quite equal peggings uh the fight carried over to basically the whole octarius sector so it's, it just it just <laughs> went and and basics now it's now a never-ending fight between the two factions there's you know unless mm. i i see otherwise they're still fighting it's a bit like armageddon and it's a you know it's yeah. a bit you yeah. know a uh, bit like that um story of the the orcs fighting the you know the uh the demons in the cycle they're just because obviously mm. both both forces but obviously we know with orcs and tyranids they you know one's creating spores one's creating biomass and they're just they're just constantly building it dying yeah. and building so they're, just in a, they're locked into one massive fight basically uh, um yeah but it's quite funny because it's even caused other factions to get involved like eldari mm. war hosts have ended up you know being seen fighting orcs in the imperium uh it's even mm. the raven guard the white scars the salamanders have had to get involved because mm. obviously inadvertently imperial worlds have got caught in the middle of these two um, yeah. <laughs> two factions fighting each other uh the world eaters have turned up at one point this is um uh vod has uh blood prices skull hunt uh they basically turned up to get skulls for corn which obviously there were plenty of uh which in yep. turn allows him uh, uh vodha to ascend to demonhood because basically uses the, mm. the the axe of the fallen war boss uh, magza de colossus to take down a hierophant bio titan which Ooh, sounds a wow. bit hard to do but somehow yeah. he managed to do it um <laughs> Even even the great Gaskell Thracker arrives for a fight in six nine four double nine dot M forty one because basically he become bored mm. on Armageddon uh, and decided <laughs> to help aid the orcs that were at this point fighting under Zog Steeltooth uh, before leading his own forces towards the Imperium. So basically, Gaskell Thracker turned up for a bit, helped the orcs for a bit, and thought, right, I got my own stuff to do, and carried mm. on. Um, yeah. And the you know to summarise the this you know war and this tale ironically 
the winner between the orcs and the tyranids will be better off for it because ultimately the orcs are attracting numbers from other places and the tyranids are generating more and more biomass like i said earlier and they're obviously Mm -hmm. that in turn they've learned how to adapt their tactics so so despite what inquisitor Cryptonum was originally trying to do he had the right idea it's just that inadvertently he's probably helped the enemies rather than hinder them yes yeah. which is hilarious <laughs> in yeah. its own way so uh so yeah so Absolutely. that's the octarius war mm, excellent well mm. while we're on the subject of inquisitor cryptman um Basically, let's 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 jog on over to Ultramar. You know, we're mm. speaking about a ga- we're speaking about an empire the size of Ultramar. We're speaking about Inquisitor Crippman. Both these things are relevant to the Battle of Macrag. <laughs> uh, so, Ordo Xenos Inquisitor Crippman first discovered the Tyranids at a uh, at a planet named Tyran Primus. Hence, their name Tyranids. They're named after the first world they were recorded as eating. Um, and, uh, because of his efforts, McCrag was well warned when High Fleet Behemoth turned its gaze towards Ultramar. Uh, Manis Kalgar drew up his plans. Obviously, McCrag is the star system most threatened. The rest of Ultramar can burn. <laughs> That's probably not his exact, exact thoughts there, but come on, it's, they're defending their home world above all the other worlds. Um, and very quickly, they assembled a very large fleet. Um, the Tyranid assault on McCrag itself was one of the most devastating points in the history of the Ultramarines chapter. Uh, honestly, it nearly destroyed them. Um, but <laughs> yep. they've risen stronger from the ashes of it. Let's give a slight overview. Uh, so the Tyranids, uh, basically began with a, a space-based attack, uh, seeking to sort of defeat the Imperial fleet by attrition. Uh, and Marnius Kalgar did a pretty good job here, you know, leading the fleet to strike at isolated vessels as they try and surround the planet, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the problem with Tyranids, as you mentioned with the Octarius uh, Empire, is you only need one to get past you. Um, <laughs> and so once uh, once a few uh, ships made it past the blockade, uh, essentially the space battle was more or less over. You know, uh, why bother fighting all the Tyranids when they've begun... Uh, all the Tyranid ships, when they've begun seeding your world with mycetic spores. Mm. Um, in particular, because the hive mind is intelligent, it was able to gather that uh, the fortresses at the poles of McCrag, one at the North Pole, one at the South Pole, uh, were the most strategically important areas on the planet. If they could break the space marines there, they could take the planet pretty easily. Um <clears throat> Uh, and if we take those out, the anti-orbital guns defending the planet will also shut off, which would be nice for the hive ships up in orbit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, so they land in massive numbers, uh, deliver their cargo, and then the hive ships actually left orbit and left it to the swarms on the ground. Um, uh, Kalgar, uh, sort of, uh, did his best here, let's put it this way. Uh, he trusts, he trusts his troops. Uh, so he pursues the fleet for a while before eventually convinced they won't be coming back uh, until he's finished dealing with whatever's on the ground. He can head mm-hmm. back and uh, sort out what's going on planet side. Um, basically, while all this is going on, while he's up in space, there's absolute chaos on, ground, on the ground. The entire planet's been invaded. Um, the first company in its entirety is defending the northern polar fortress. 
while the Legio Auxilia of Ultramar, so regular humans pressed into sort of an Imperial Guard-style army by the Ultramarines, and a few members of the 3rd and 7th Company were defending the Southern Polar Fortress. Um, uh, and uh, things things got bad pretty quickly. You, they pretty quickly lost all contact with everyone on the ground. Um <laughs> Calgar sent the 3rd and 7th companies ahead uh, in their faster strike cruisers while he escorted the damaged ships back to McCrag. Uh, and the 3rd company headed to Brain Maths. 3rd company headed to the Northern Fortress. 7th company headed to the Southern Fortress. Um, the 7th company, honestly, didn't have a bad go, at, go of it. Um, when they got there, the, the, the ice caps in the region were completely decimated, mostly by these massive craters where Titan's uh, nuclear reactors had gone critical and just exploded. Uh, <laughs> one of the favorite Tyranid tactics is just covering it in Tyranids until it overheats, apparently, uh, which is a great tactic. It's uh, it's like uh, bees fighting killer hornets uh, in Japan. <laughs> if, you can just, if you can just get enough bodies on it, it'll overheat itself or you'll block something vital and it'll blow up. <laughs> it works. Um, yeah, uh, but the uh, the Legio Auxilia there and the few members of the 7th Company there had managed to hold the Southern Fortress pretty handily, uh, and so the 7th Company headed underground to begin purging the tunnels where the remaining Tyranids had retreated to. However, up in the north, the 3rd Company landed and was immediately attacked. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, uh, the Devastator squads kept the swarms at bay until the Thunderhawk gunships swirled back around, managed to shoot most of them down, and Captain Fabian of the Third Company prudently awaited the arrival, the arrival of the company's three dreadnoughts before proceeding into the fortress itself to search for survivors. Uh, the corridors beneath the Northern Fortress at this point had already undergone a sort of strange metamorphosis. Uh, imagine in the Alien films, all the corridors of the ships that begin getting oozed up um, lictors were lying in ambush, and eventually they gave up and just burned every corridor as they walked through it, uh, <laughs> because they were getting ambushed so often. Uh, the, uh, and for a time, obviously, the invasion was being slowed, uh, but the Battle of Cold Steel Ridge, uh, was sort of a key battle here, uh, Sort of, uh, they were whittling down the swarms, but, uh, the delaying measures only delay the inevitable, unfortunately. You can only fight as a rear guard for so long before you get your back up against a wall and you can't go anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, the Sirocco starport was assaulted by gene stealers, slaughtering the auxilia there and all the pilots and destroying most of the shuttles, so, uh, cutting off retreat to space in that case. Um, there were enough Thunderhawk gunships to keep the marines moving around, but, uh, the auxiliar forces were basically stuck, as it were. <laughs> um, so Calgar made, a, made the decision to make his last stand at Cold Steel Ridge. Um, the hive mind at this point had, had lots of smaller battles with forces directed by Calgar and had identified him as the main threat. And so it, uh, built, birthed, birthed, I guess, uh, the Swarm Lord. That fated yeah. sort of a special character, but it's really just a specialized bioform that's smarter and nastier than other hive tyrants, um, to take him on. Uh, because up against a master strategist like Kalga, of course, you need your own master strategist. Um, up to this point in Cold Steel Ridge, the defenders were accustomed to basically mindless assaults from all the Tyranids there. 
but the second the Swarm Lord showed up, the assault became extremely precise, very quiet, and very delicate. Like, this thing is exercising complete control over millions of bodies at once, which is... Again, Tyranids are crazy. Love it. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, he had, uh, th- he had, it had, um, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of battle plans going. Um, essentially, uh, it led a Carnifex brood in an assault against one of the Marines' he- more heavily entrenched locations. Uh, Kalgar, quickly realizing that this was some ploy of some kind, but still, you've got to defend when a dozen Carnifexes start trampling over your lines. <laughs> um, and so while the Space Marines were occupied with that, um, <laughs> Swarm Lord did its thing, and the quote here is 10,000 alien minds answered, which I'm going to say means 10,000 Raveners and Trigons burst out from the Auxilia trenches and began slaughtering <laughs> yeah. all of them. Um, by the time the Ultramarines fought off the Carnifexes, got back to the Auxilia trenches, the trench network was basically a blood pit and not much else. <laughs> um the Ultramines managed to kill the remaining Tyranids there, but unfortunately their true objective had been completed, which was to destroy the Baneblade known as Pride of Hera, um, the basically the anchor of the heavy firepower in the line for the defenders here had been destroyed because all the infantry had been immediately slaughtered um, with, this distra- with this distraction. Uh, over the next few hours, the full depth of the Swarm Lost battle plans became apparent as the remaining auxiliary troops were just picked off piecemeal, uh, in daring, very, uh, very abrupt maneuvers. Uh, and while Calgon and the rest of the Ultramarines fought tirelessly, they could only do so much. Uh, interestingly enough, after a few hours, the Swarm Lord actually challenged Calgar to single combat. Um, <laughs> well, single combat, it, it did take its Tyrant Guard and Tyranid Warriors, uh, but literally called him out as close as you can get with, um, giant screaming alien insect dinosaurs. Um, presumably it gestured. It does have swords. Um, <laughs> the Ultramines, uh, obviously went to Kalgar's aid here because, you know, it's not really a one-on-one duel with an alien like this. Uh, but it was all a ploy. Um, uh-huh. the Ultramarines seeking to rescue Kalgar were ambushed because in the field strewn with dead Hormagons and other forms of Tyranid life forms, there were many hundreds of hit- Hormagons that weren't dead and were instead being forced to play dead. Um, and as soon as the Ultramarines attempted to reinforce Kalgar's position, these Hormagons sprang out and delayed them, essentially long enough for the Swarm Lord to brutally maim Kalgar. Um, <laughs> thinking back, I think this is where he lost all his arms and legs. Oh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. pretty sure. Um, his Honor Guard managed to save his life, uh, but the Thunderhawk gunships didn't get there in time to save the majority of the Auxilia and Ultramarines there. Uh, they suffered pretty heavy casualties, the Honor Guard getting Kalgar um, safely aboard due to the sacrifice of the commander of the Honor Guard, who fought off the Swarm Lord alone. Um, and at this point, the Polar Fortresses were abandoned. Um, and then we go up into the war in space again. Uh, I mentioned this during the break, but this, uh, this is laid out interestingly. Uh, the ground battle had fared pretty poorly, so the space battle was going great. Not, it was going awfully. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Ultramarine's merchant fleet had been almost completely destroyed. Uh, you know, it, it's a, it's an emergency situation. You press every vessel into service, obviously. And it's yeah. 40k. Uh, even trading vessels have, like, laser destructors and stuff on their ports. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, just waves and waves of Tyranid uh, hive ships decimated the um, Imperial fleet there, uh, allowing them to continue attacking the planet, obviously. Uh, but Kalgar refused everything except the most vital medical aid and took control of the remains of the ultramarine vessels in the fleet. Hmm. Uh, and bit by bit uh, began um, harrying the Tyranids, but the hive mind's canny and actually lured Kalgar's uh, section of the fleet away from the planet in order to make sure the fortresses didn't have any support uh, during the attack. Um, Kalgar pursued them towards uh, the world, ringed world of Circe. Circe? Circe? Uh, Circe. Oh, I don't know. Uh, at the edge of the system. <laughs> um, and uh, the Tyranids were laying a trap, but so was Manus Kalgar. Because uh-huh. as the Tyranids reached the end of the star system, the edge of the star system, um, the but the Imperial Navy's battle fleet Tempestus finally arrived. Essentially, and managed to time this properly, uh, and caught the Tyranid fleet in between the Ultramarine ships and this new Imperial fleet arriving. Um, however, there were still a lot of ships, and it was a really close fought battle until uh, the battleship Dominus Astro, an Emperor class ship, drove into the middle of the Tyranid fleet and blew up its warp drive. Sucking <laughs> everything within a hundred kilometers into the warp, <laughs> um, and then the remaining hive ships caught in the fire, caught in the crossfire. At that point, were eliminated. Um, however, the hive fleet destroyed. You still have to save the planet because there's a ton of tyrannids everywhere. Um, honestly, the war was won at that point, but would McCrag survive? Is the real question here. Uh, through darkness and terrors, unimaginable, the third company in the um, northern polar fortress made their journeys through the corridors and halls of that sacred place uh, until they reached the lower penatorium where the first company had made their last stand. Tyranid bodies were piled six deep around the doors, and within the room, a circle of terminators lay where they had fought back to back. The entire first company was killed uh, in this attack, which... <laughs> That's uh that that is a near chapter ending event for any yep. chapter, not just the Ultramarines. Um <laughs> The at this point, you know, they managed to clear the Tyranids off their world, except maybe old one eye got stuck in the ice, who knows about that? Um uh, he's still sorta <laughs> he's around. Um <laughs> and potentially the Swarm Lord as well. They did find a dead hive tyrant, but it was so burned and dis- disfigured that they couldn't tell if it was the one they had fought at Cold Steel Ridge. Um, they think they found it, but you never know. It might have escaped its death. Um, but I, I like this, I like this, uh, this battle for McCrag for a couple of reasons. First off, it's the first 40k battle I was exposed to because I got in, in fourth edition when this was the starter set, Hmm. uh, was Ultramarines versus Tyranids. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever, like Terminators (laughs) falling back to back, fighting off endless waves of bugs. Awesome. Uh, but it also gave rise to something really interesting, which is, the Ultramines rewrote part of the Codex Astartes because of this. Yeah. Um, they they rewrote uh, how veterans work because basically every Ultramarine that had fought there was immediately given the chance to become a tyrannic war veteran. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And get es- essentially get fast-tracked to the first company to replenish the first company's numbers. Um, and they remain one of the coolest Ultramarine units to this day. I'm going to say that. I don't mm-hmm. care for a lot of the Ultramarines characters, but Tyrannic War veterans are awesome, and I love them. <laughs> yeah. Do they do they still exist as, like, a thing? Yeah. Because, um, I, I mean, like, tabletop-wise, I mean, do they? Because I know that, I'm pretty obviously, sure they used to have models. Sell them. 
I think they do. Let me. I've got to quickly look this up. Yeah, well, I'll carry veterans. I'll, I'll 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 carry on and <laughs> uh, let's have a quick look. Uh, yeah, oh, you found like it. You can still buy them. Yeah, you sh- yeah you can still buy them uh, on the Games Workshop store. Nice. So yeah, they're 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 still a thing. They are absolutely awesome. I love yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, should we carry on talking about Tyranids? Because yeah, they're definitely the theme here. So, yes, my next battle is the Fall of Shadowbrink. And what a great name. And rather than Orcs versus Tyranids, it's Demons versus Tyranids this time. Yeah. And, so and of we've course. Got, the, we've done Orcs versus Tyranids, we've done Space Marines versus Tyranids, and now we're doing Demons versus Tyranids. Yes. And, and, and with Imperium getting in the middle of it a bit. Ah, but, you course. know, again, a bit, a bit oh. like uh, the, the previous one I spoke about. So. Let's talk about Shadowbrink. So Shadowbrink was a cathedral world of the Imperium. Unfortunately, it's now a dead world. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thanks to being caught in between a showdown between an incursion of demons and the Tyranids of Hive Fleet Lothiathan again. Um, so basically, it was a world guarding a secret. And that secret being a relic from the Dark Age of Technology known as the Maelstrom Cradle. And this was mm. named by the Inquisition, so they, they're good. They know they know how to name mm. things. So yeah, it was basically this relic was so powerful they it was hidden below the capital city of Rossov, uh, and basically it's a relic possible of of uh, accessing the warp, and was so dangerous a permanent garrison of grey knights uh, was stationed there. <laughs> That's how. Bigger deal it was. Uh, and the Grey Knights were led by Brother Liberian uh, Cadulon, uh, and he was there to obviously oversee the guarding of it. So and this included performing daily rituals uh, to keep it at bay, but at the same time, they're trying to find ways to seal it up. So when it comes to the fall of Shadowbrink itself, it all started in 998.m41 when uh, the High Fleet turn up uh, and obviously come across Shadowbrink in its path. Mm-hmm. Obviously, yeah. this alerts the planet to uh, to obviously <laughs> to their uh, <laughs> to defend uh, and pressure them into making a decision. So, which mm-hmm. was basically, do we stay and defend or do we evacuate? Um, now, they decided to stay and defend rather than evacuate, mainly due to the threat of the relic being able to cause a demonic incursion. So it's sort of the lesser of two evils by staying and fighting, mm. even though it sounds madness in uh, in hindsight. So uh, a slight positive for the planet in this case, it, it did have its defences. Like I said, it's got Grey Knights there. It's got the PDF. It's got the, uh, the Frateris m- Militia. It's got Cadians. Mm-hmm. Not not Canadians um, and destroying regiments, so it's got you know it's got a you know a fair a fairly sizable defense force. So up in orbit as well, it's got three defense platforms and it's got six Cobra class destroyers, um, which unfortunately only held out for a few hours before being totally overwhelmed by the Tyranid assault. So this led to an untold number of Tyranids coming down onto the planet, which obviously led to the inevitable all cities and settlements being ultimately destroyed and devoured by the Tyranids and obviously ultimately leading them to the Maelstrom Cradle. No. Yeah. So they, they put up a fight, but obviously just couldn't handle it. Um, yeah. The Imperial defences 
you know, couldn't stop this Tyranid tide, uh, whether it be the Grey Knights, they were deploying Dread Knights and, you know, really trying to do what they could, uh, or the, as you'd imagine, the Imperial Guard are throwing bodies at the situation. So with all the killing and the destruction above, stuff yeah. happens, Cameron. Stuff happens a when a lot bit. of things come. Yeah. The little things happen. So the yeah. Maelstrom Cradle <laughs> kicks in, and as you would expect, it opens up a warp rift. And yeah. and not, you know, and you're thinking, ah, is a couple of demons going to come through? Well, out steps what's known as the quadrifold abominatium. So basically, this is a team of four greater demons. So you've got mm. the great unclean one, Shubluth Glug. You've got the bloodthirster Hack Vasha. You've got the <laughs> Lord of Change uh, Krixer Crasher. Um, that's a really hard one to pronounce. And the mm. Keeper of Secrets, Lesh J. Taiha. Uh, so basically you've got, a t- you've got uh, uh, these names. Um, so basically you've got one of all the four types of greater demon basically mm. come out, uh, of the warp rift, uh, alongside with a horde of demons. So initially though, the lack of human souls was not to the demons liking because obviously they're not really interested mm. in tyrannies. It doesn't really sort of play into how they power up basically. However, they decided to deal with them anyway, because obviously their thought, the demons were, thoughts were well let's take out the tyranids because in turn we're now escaped and we can then go on to the other parts of the imperium where we can you know devour all those lovely tasty human souls so uh by doing this they kicked it off by literally bringing up a fortress of millions of demons to the surface under Rossoff. So, so you can imagine all these great demons have stepped out and then a fortress worth of, of demons just, just literally, you know, comes from out, out of the ground. So on the flip side though, the Tyranids were not interested in the demons due to the lack of biomass. <laughs> so you've got this yeah. weird sort of situation where you've got two armies on, you know, two forces on the verge of fighting each other, but neither really wants to fight each other because they don't really have mm. anything really to gain by fighting each other. But the Tyranids decide, well, okay, they don't have biomass, but we can't ignore the threat. So it's almost like yeah. they end up fighting it and throwing it down with each other because they sort of had to, because they were in the mm. way of each other, <laughs> which is fine. Um, so the Tyranids attack the city of, of Rossoff, uh, but the demons in turn make the ground really soft and mushy using yeah. two two of their favorite ingredients bile and blood uh, not fabulous bile mm-hmm. just just normal bile <laughs> just um normal bar. <laughs> just normal bile uh, which in turn slowed down the tyranid attack so the forces of chaos countered at the same time with blood letters plague bearers chaos furies play drones etc mm. but in in counter attack the tyranids decided to change their tactics again a common theme we saw with the last war i spoke about uh, to keep the demons occupied whilst they in the background was soaking up the, the planet's biomass using their rippers. So their tactic mm. was at this point was to mass produce uh, exocrines and biovores and basically bombard the demons to keep them at bay. And then in turn use uh, turvagons and termagants to basically completely overwhelm them. That was their sort of tactic. Uh, and at this point it was, it was working. So the, the demons realized that they needed to do something. So up steps mm-hmm. the great unclean one uh, who you know, decided to try to counterattack. Uh, unfortunately for him, because of the shadow in the warp suppressing his mm. psychic abilities, he ended up being ripped apart and, and well, literally blown apart by uh, Zionthropes. So, um, you know, mm. he was, uh, there were one greater demon down. So, yeah. in turn, losing one of their own, the other greater demons took stock of the situation 
So the obviously the blood the uh, bloodthirster <laughs> realised that corn wouldn't be happy because there's no real b- blood being spilt at this point, not in the in the traditional yeah. sense. Uh, no. You know, obviously Nurgle wouldn't be happy because no plague is being spread. You know that sort of mm-hmm. thing, really. So what are we doing here? So the Lord of Change uh, decided to flee via the warp rift basically leaving the other two greater demons, so the Bloodthirster and the Keeper of Secrets, to carry on the fight. Uh, So they decided Mm -hmm. to do one last charge. Uh, The remaining demons uh, had to fight uh, Tyrannifexes and Trigons at this point now. So the demon forces were were broken down because... Uh, you know, they literally were just completely overwhelmed. And you've got this fantastic image of the Bloodthirster going back down into the warp whilst wrestling tri- three Trigons at the same time. Which, <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> that just sounds great. Amazing. Um, and basically the fight ended and the Tyranids mm-hmm. could carry on with what they were doing. And it's funny, actually, because you could just... It's just... I, what I find amusing about this is that, obviously, mm. it ends up being to the cost of, obviously, Shadowbrink as a, as a world, because it becomes a dead world. But it's just funny when you get two forces that are quite opposite of each other, and they end up having to fight each other because, well, you're sort you're in my way, and well, you're in my way, mm. and you know that's this is what happens really, and yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was the the fall of Shadowbrink. Mm. Awesome. Well, uh, continuing with themes of tyrants fighting things, we've done we've done orcs, we've done the Imperium, we've done demons, and a little bit of the Imperium, and we're on to Eldar. Now, <laughs> with the uh, the Battle of Eandon. Um Forward, I picked this because uh, there is an awesome diorama of it, I believe, at Warhammer World um, of High Fleet, uh, Kraken, and the Eandon forces fighting on the surface of the craft world, which is falling to pieces with lava erupting out of it, mm. which is fully sick, um, as the kids <laughs> say. Um, so, High Fleet, uh, High Fleet Kraken the second of the High Fleece. We've also talked about uh, the three main ones at this point, haven't we? We had Behemoth um, at McCrag, we had Leviathan in Octarius, and now we're having Kraken again. Great. Yeah. I'm getting Kraken in here. <laughs> um, so, Eandon at this point had already had a little bit of a run-in with the Tyranids. They had fought our High Fleet Naga, which was a small splinter fleet. Um, they'd also had a little bit of a civil war uh, and had sent away... Uh, their their very best and brightest into self-imposed exile to become Corsairs by Prince Uriel. We miss you. Um, <laughs> uh, and Eldrad Ulthran had come from Craft Lord Ulthway and said, hey guys, you need to prepare. Something's coming. And they went, no, you're just here to mock us because we've been through some tough times. Get out of here, Eldrad. <laughs> um, so really, they deserve nearly everything that happens to them during all of this. Um, (laughs) so, um, a lot of stuff had gone in, uh, there's almost like a puppet government in place at this point that I don't have enough time to cover all the stuff leading up to this, that would just be the history of the entire craft world, but you know, like the command, (laughs) the admiral of the Eandon fleet is like a puppet admiral Mm. who only does what this particular farseer says, this particular farseer is just in control of everything all of a sudden, all that kind of stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a a bit of an Eldari coup going on, um, (laughs) And because this admiral doesn't know how to do his job, um, Ian's like, well, some Tyranids might come along, so we'll just keep an eye on things. We'll send the fleet out to scout. Um, but the admiral doesn't know how to do his job, so he keeps the scout fleet very close to the craft world. 
and so their first warning actually comes from some of the craft world's rangers who are actually you know more than a few light years away at any given time <laughs> um uh, the rangers brought the Farseer, Kelmon, constant reports of worlds being ravaged and consumed by Tyranids. Um, and, as all, as uh, Eldred Ulthran had predicted, the swarm descending on Eand at this point was far larger than anything they had seen before. Uh, and also was moving a lot faster than the craft world could, because craft worlds are not actually very fast. They are, they are little planets flying around. They're not, <laughs> they're not speedy. Um... It, uh, High Fleet Kraken's Space Fleet quickly overwhelms the uh, Eandon fleet, and they are ordered ordered to withdraw, uh, sort of leading hit-and-run strikes against the vanguard of High Fleet Kraken as they do so. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the, the High Fleet is so big that even when the Admiral detonated an unstable star, uh, High Fleet Kraken barely slowed down from the damage taken from that. <laughs> uh, which... Hey, this is the Eldar going to war. Forget Exterminatus. We blew up a star <laughs> to try and slow you down. <laughs> God, they do everything bigger, don't they? Um, <laughs> uh, um, and every time Eandon sort of got a glimpse of what was going on with this uh, beginning of battles with Highly Kraken, expanded how they had to think about the Tyranids. Uh, sort of every second they could save now was like a blessing. Essentially, <laughs> like, oh God, we're. You know, they're like, okay, but it's not that bad. And then five minutes later, a report comes in. Okay, but it's not that bad. <laughs> it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Um, until it got to the point where um, Kelmon, Farsia Kelmon, called all the Eldar of Yandan together in the place of answering and warned them that things were things were pretty bad. Uh, too many errors of judgment lay on the path behind him. This was his fault. Um, you know, he had, he had encouraged Ariel to go into self-exile, he'd appointed a puppet admiral, and had asked everyone else to ignore Eldrad, or Thran's warnings <laughs> a few centuries earlier. Any one of those, if he hadn't done them, could have altered their fate for the better, and probably not led to this awful situation. Um, and because of this, he was actually being a little humble here, I guess. Uh, he asked for the craft world as a whole to decide what to do next, because his judgement was clearly flawed. Uh, he had cast the runes again and again, attempting to see the future, and always pride, doom, and salvation spiraled around Asurian. Um, as part of the civil war, the Eldar god Asurian abandoned his favor with the craft world, and his shrine there fell dark, which is a big thing. Um, <laughs> in, that's like the main god saying, actually, I don't care for you anymore. Um, <laughs> that's right, yeah. Yeah, uh, so his judgment here was that the pride in this prophecy was his. Better that Eandon move on without him in charge, effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in doing so, he compounded Eandon's danger a hundredfold. Uh, because, sure, if he was in charge, he might have made bad decisions. But at least he would make bad decisions quickly. Uh, the representatives of every path uh, present on Eandon, so not just the warrior paths, but all the artisan paths, the philosophical paths, the economic paths, all because Eldar life is, I want to do this one thing for a hundred years really well, and then I'll switch a career to this one thing really well. Um, so that these hundreds of representatives uh, had to reach a consensus on what to actually do. Um, so this debate was going on for a long time, um, <laughs> not helped by the fact that not many of them realized how dangerous uh, this high fleet was. Uh, you know, they they had heard of uh, the craft worlds of Malantai and Itare falling to Tyranids before, 
but Eadon's a big, important craft world. We're not like those background lore snippet craft worlds. We're Eadon, man. We're great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we could weather any storm. Um, in the end, after a lot of wasted time that could really have been used preparing for <laughs> an assault, um, they, Eandon had sort of whittled it down to two potential courses of actions. Uh, the conservatives argued that they should just put up a psychic barrier to cover the craft world and avoid all contact with the Tyranids, because Eldar psychic powers are the best, and they could never break through our barrier, obviously. Uh, whereas the younger, more aggressive elements of the craft world wanted to attack immediately, using their fleet to destroy the Tyranids before they reached the craft world. Mm-hmm. Uh, both these plans, of course, were incredibly flawed, because neither took into account how big this particular high fleet was. Again, up until this point, their experience was with a tiny little splinter fleet of a few thousand ships, as opposed to a few million ships. Um, <laughs> Uh, and eventually, Irolith, the ranger who had been mapping uh, Kraken's journey towards Eandon, drove home the point uh, that this fleet was so big that you couldn't hide from it and we couldn't take it out either uh, on our own. We had to do everything and anything we can to survive, and even then we probably won't succeed. <laughs> um, and all the Elder suddenly pull their heads out of their collective asses uh, and realize what the ranger is saying and go, oh... Uh, they very quickly reached a consensus, recalled the fleet, and every single Eldar on the craft world took on the aspect of either Warlock, Guardian, or Aspect Warrior. So, like, everyone who's been doing pottery for the last 500 years, people who've been doing nothing but writing poetry for hundreds of years, all suddenly switched career paths and went through boot camp training to become uh, as close to a warrior, or at the very least a Psyker uh, warrior that they could... Um, and they would request help from other craft worlds, of course, and they mm-hmm. would perform the sacrifice to awaken the Avatar of Cain. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that's going to be good, because I love, I love me the Avatar of Cain. Mm-hmm. Um, they fortified the craft world itself, because there was no doubt that the, uh, the fleet would eventually be breached and there would be a landing. Um, but, uh, there was a fatal flaw in this plan that Kelmon heard, and eventually he could stand it no longer, rose up and said, there literally aren't enough of us alive to deal with this. We can only win if we wake up all of the spirits in our infinity circuit. Um, they they were like, oh yeah, yeah, no, the the wraiths will fight alongside us, yeah, sure. And he went, no, 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 every single spirit, everyone. <laughs> we literally need the entire past population of Yandan to help deal with this. Um, which. Again, this is a big move. This is risking completely obliterating their culture. Um, yeah. Because this, and also what powers their craft world as a whole. <laughs> like, if all these mm-hmm. spirits die, if all these spirits die or are lost to the warp or just lost in a battle, um, you're not gonna, you're not gonna get that knowledge, that experience, and that guidance back. Um, so it's a pretty serious, uh, Probably a serious uh, problem there. Uh, So a lot of them consider this to be basically tomb robbing, but every single (laughs) spirit stone was plucked out and put into a wraithbone shell. Um, (laughs) These preparations were finished about five minutes before the Tyranids attacked. (laughs) Um, At this point, Eandon was underneath the shadow in the warp, but even then, uh, other craft worlds had managed to get some reinforcements to them. In particular, Beeltan... Uh, had sent an extremely large detachment uh, to Yandan's age, although whether this was them being, like, you know, nice and beneficial to them, or if they just wanted to commit xenocide, uh, no one is sure. Uh, 
<laughs> they 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 hate Tyranids over in Bealtan. Uh, a few Harlequins also showed up, uh, but things were pretty bleak, honestly. Um, the puppet admiral, Ethrael, uh, realizing how bad things were at this point, actually pushed himself and became somewhat competent. Um, <laughs> and in <laughs> battle after battle, uh, suffered minimal casualties while tearing down the high fleet. Uh, but this was a battle of attrition. There are not a lot of Eldar around. There are a lot of Tyranids around. Um, the second assault wave was so big that the fleet suffered terrible casualties and the craft world was breached. Uh, Wraith guards under the command of a Wraith Lord named Drake ran, uh, for Carnifexes rampaging through the halls of the craft world. Um, but, uh, you know, it's okay. We've only lost everything except 12 ships. We're <laughs> fine. Uh, we're doing great. Um, you know, uh, while, while at this point the fleet was basically defunct, it did its best and shot down sh- enemy ships where it could. Uh, and oftentimes Eandon forces would arrive at a breach to find that the Bealtan allies had already gone there and just burned the place down with all the Tyranids in it. Because, again, Bealtan hates Tyranids yeah. entirely. <laughs> uh, and, uh, for a short while, scans didn't show any Tyranid vessels anywhere nearby and the uh, generic population of Eandon started to get hope. Whereas all the Farseers went, no, I can still feel them in my mind. The clawing <laughs> of the shadow of the warp. Uh, um, <laughs> and it was, uh, it was far from over, obviously. Uh, when the Tyranids regrouped and showed up, they were again in numbers greater than seen at any point, uh, before this. The, uh, in a desperate act, Ethrael, the Admiral, uh, guided the Starwind Voyager into a collision with the biggest Tyranid ship and overloaded the engines. Uh, to create an explosion which destroyed uh, both ships and the rest of the Eandon fleet was lost. Uh, at which point, of course, uh, these Tyranids were free to seed the world as they wished. Um, in an interesting uh, turn of events, it turns out Tyranid seeding can affect Wraithbone. Um, as uh, the the structure of Eandon itself began to actually change shape and um, sort of, you know, Tyranid... Uh, Fauna, uh, not fauna, flora, I guess, began sprouting from it. Um, psychic screams sort of echoed around the craft world as bitter close-ranged fights uh, took place. Oftentimes the lines were less than a wall's uh, width apart, which <laughs> for Eldar, fighting Tyranids is not a good prospect. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you had like crimson hunters hunting harpies and brood mothers, swooping hawks fighting gargoyles, striking scorpions just slicing through hordes of gaunts all that kind of stuff uh dire avengers also shooting down hordes and hordes of enemies um and uh essentially the tyranids came on and on and on forcing the eldar to abandon region after region of yandan um qualandral the exarch of the fire dragons there set large portions of the craft world on fire to burn out the tyranids um the craft world itself sort of shaking in pain as it began to burn away uh, and a lot of defenders were actually caught in those flames as well. Uh, guardians and uh, aspect warriors who had been cut off from uh, the main Eandon forces and had to literally f- I choose between falling back into the fire of the fire dragons or falling forward into the Tyranid lines. That's uh, not a great choice. <laughs> nope. Um, as soon as the fires went out, the Eldar counterattacked, led by the Avatar, as well as a contingent of uh, uh, as well as a contingent blah, 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 of wraiths. 
uh, and the ensuing battle roared across the Forest of Silence, a particularly sacred and meditative place in the Yandan. Uh, but the damage was done. Um, the trees there were sort of these horrible, twisted parodies of tyrannic origin. Uh, but the tide of battle appeared to be turning. Um, wraith knights and falcon graft tanks hunted down synapse creatures. Warlocks used their, um, their psychic cord to repel the Shadow of the Warp as bone singers sort of coaxed the ra- writhing wraith bone to fight against the warping spores from the Tyranids. And then another assault wave appeared. <laughs> Because of course it did. Of course it does. Uh, this, this is how tyrannies work. As soon as you think you're about to win, more of them show up. Uh, mm-hmm. At this point, at this point, the uh, the scanners basically completely lit up with signals, as in they blotted out the stars with how many ships there were, uh, and everyone fell silent. There was no escape. Um, Eandon was doomed. Uh, no matter what Kelmon did, uh, no matter what, what runes he cast, he saw the same future again and again and again. Um, and in the end, uh, Salandry Veilwalker, the shadow seer from the Harlequin troop who came to their aid, uh, basically gave him a real good talking to by snapping the rune of Asurian in half and saying, we forge our own fate sometimes. You can't just look to the future and follow directions. Yeah. You know, wake yeah, up. Yeah. Take charge. <laughs> Be good at things. <laughs> <laughs> Live in the moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Kelmon's understanding of how to do this was he had to truly give up his pride. Like, he'd given up some of it by leaving the council of what to do to the consensus of the craft world. But to really swallow his pride, he had to do the thing he didn't want to do the most. He had to make up with Prince Ariel. Um <laughs> <clears throat> And so all the Farseers uh, and Kelmon got together to work in concert to try and send a focused beam of psychic message uh, through the shadow in the warp, light years away, to find Prince Ariel. Uh, Kelmon had planned to offer his apologies and beg for him to come aid them, but uh, basically as soon as he made contact, the floor burst open as Carnifexes burrowed up into the chamber... <laughs> Uh, and all that got through was a garbled message of screams and flashing images of Tyranids burning and into the ground, uh, as it were. Um, of course, Prince Ariel uh, understood uh, the idea, and even though he's in exile, he's still from Eandon, uh, and in the 50 years he'd been gone in exile, he had actually united several Corsair fleets together, and so, uh, heroically, the Eldritch Raiders returned as another wave of Tyranids came in. Uh, the, at this point, all the Beel Tarn forces sent had been slain as they attempted to kill the Hive Tyrant leading the swarm. Hundreds of lives had been lost without wounding the beast. Uh, Kelmon himself was lost as were, as were most of the Farseer Council. The Wraith Lord Drake had perished defending a webway gate. Um, and now Farseer Teix Silvrai and Spiritseer Iana Arianel, uh, were the remaining commanders on Eandon. Um, Iriel was pretty mad that Kelmon hadn't asked him to come sooner, and also very mad at the Admiral of the Fleet, Ethrael, for, for failing to protect against this. Uh, but he had to, he, he should have been here. His own pride had driven him away. It was also his fault. Um, and so Iriel's forces tore through the High Fleet Kraken blockade, turned about, and essentially deleted, uh, that wave of the assault, um, at that point. Uh, he had brought almost 100 vessels, and yet less than 30 remained by the time the second wave of Tyranids had been destroyed. Hmm. Um, the, you know, they were preparing to uh, sell their lives dearly. They turned to space, waiting for the next blip to indicate the next assault of ships, and nothing came. They had finally 
finally exhausted the spaceborne threat of the Tyranids, uh, and it all came down to what happens on the ground. Again, same as at McCrag, once you defeat the High Fleet in space, you still need to deal with what was dumped onto your planet. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Tyranids at this point became even more ferocious, knowing that if they were to form the High Fleet again, they had to kill everyone in the Yandan and use them to grow new ships. Um, shattering the fortress of the Red Moon and sort of scattering the defenders into doomed pockets of resistance. Uh, Spirit Seer Arianal gathered what Ghost Warriors remained and essentially used them as a living wall uh, for survivors to flee behind. Um, and <laughs> the ans- and the ancestors perished anew to save their own descendants. Essentially, uh, the Hive Tyrant that Bealtan had failed to kill showed up and began tearing these raids apart. Uh, the battle would be won or lost here, so every force possible was summoned to uh, crush this Hive Tyrant. The Avatar of Cain joined the fray at this point uh, and challenged the Hive Tyrant to a duel. However, unlike the Swarm Lord, this Hive Tyrant thought this wasn't a very smart idea, and so instead uh, sent 12 Carnifexes to fight the Avatar in its place. <laughs> um, <laughs> which, as everyone knows, from the tabletop points-wise, 12 Carnifexes is a lot more expensive than one Avatar of Cain, so you know yep. how this goes. Um, the Avatar managed to kill four of them in a few in, in a few moments, but was essentially dragged down by the numbers of them <laughs> and stomped to pieces, because uh, when, a Carnif- when an Avatar of Cain shows up in a story, it's either really cool or it gets completely bodied. There's no in-between. Um, True. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with the Avatar's fall... Um, Hope was basically lost, but Prince Ariel regained the uh, the, the trust and loyalty of Eandon when he departed from his own ships to become uh, to become the leader of a ground assault. Uh, he had a particular weapon, the Spear of Twilight, which is an ancient Eldari uh, singing spear, essentially cursed to destroy whoever wields it. Uh, but it's also an incredibly strong weapon. Um, and so Ariel used this, regardless of the personal danger, to... Uh, Killed the Hive Tyrant, leading the Tyrants on the ground in a single fluid blow. Perfect, perfect thing, even though he just doomed himself, obviously, by picking up this <laughs> weapon. Uh, and in that heartbeat, the Tyranids reverted to instinct, and the Eldar were, begin- were able to slowly sort of drive them back and drive them out of the craft world. Um, but this is what's called a hollow victory. Because <laughs> the uh, the casualty rates amongst the living Eldar of Eandon was over 80%. Which is insane for a race <laughs> that is already on the brink of extinction. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah uh, four fifths of the population were dead or dying, and amongst the dead were, of course, uh, Farseer Kelmon, um, the Silandri Veilwalker, the Harlequin Shadows here. No one knew what happened to her. Uh, the entire Eandon fleet, of course, was burnt to pieces in the in orbit, um, and every single. Um, Wraith, Wraith Guard, Wraith Lord, Wraith Knight, whatever they were, uh, that had been struck down, had been struck down in such a way that shattered the spirit stones animating them. Uh, and so thousands or perhaps even millions of uh, souls had also been lost to Slanesh, because that's what happens when your spirit stone breaks a Slanesh <laughs> to eat your soul. Um, there was some hope. Um, Silver Eye, uh, the Farseer, assumed uh, Kelmon's place at the head of the council and asked Ariel to stay. Uh, Eander needed him, uh, needed him if it were to survive. Um, he had changed his destiny for forever, forever by taking out the Spear of Twilight, but he also couldn't abandon his responsibility 
uh, to his home world and thus came out of exile. He was no longer the prince in exile. He was now just the scion of House Ulthanash once more uh, and a key leader now of Craftworld Eandon. Um, the aftermath of this is that Craftworld Eandon is basically a floating cemetery at this point. <laughs> like this, this is current day now. Uh, it's become a very strange and very disturbing place to live as an Eldar. Uh, so many people died uh, without breaking their spirit stones as well that the Infinity Circuit actually became overcharged and the craft world has begun growing without restriction as the Wraithbone, you know, seeks to direct this excess energy. Uh, there are many halls and areas uh, where random Wraithbone trees have appeared or where they've been sealed off and permanently changed and are just filled with literal ghosts because <laughs> <laughs> this energy's got to go somewhere and might as well go into building new rooms. Um, <laughs> uh, and... Um, one of the one of the other things about this is um all these areas are sort of places that you risk madness to step into as a living eldar uh but the ghost warriors the ra- remaining wraiths uh of the guard lord and knight variants etc etc uh didn't actually want to go back into the infinity circuit not only was it like over capacity already uh they felt it was no longer appropriate uh for them uh, because essentially parts of the craft world were halfway in and out of the Eldar version of the Realm of the Dead at this point. These areas where the Infinity Circuit had taken over were already perfect places for uh, the Wraiths to live, so why would they go back into the circuit itself? <laughs> yeah, um, fair point. Yeah, and uh, the the key point out of this is that uh, some of the Wraith Lords actually now sit on Eandon's council as uh, leaders of the leaders of the um of the craft world, that's the word. <laughs> because <laughs> you know we don't have eighty percent of our politicians. They've they all died. Um, we might as well have great 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 grandpa uh, come take a seat on the council. Uh, a lot of them refused, but a few of them did uh, recognize that if Eandon's going to be a half dead world, it might as well have half of its leadership be dead already. Uh, and now, uh, I, again, I really like this because this event a has a cool diorama. But also really changed uh, Eandon and made it a super unique craft world. This sort yeah, of definitely. literal world of the dead. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, yeah, and that, that's uh, that's the fourth battle in Fulfi <laughs> It's so <laughs> weird so that that's targets. how things have ended up. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it just happened sometime, I guess. <laughs> well, like I said, I, I, don't, I, I don't feel that that's not a coincidence because at the end of the day, mm. it just shows that despite... And this is obviously something we said earlier when we we're talking about antagonists mm. in 40k. That, yeah. that obviously with the, with the Tyranids, that you know we can't you can't really write stories about them in the traditional sense because obviously mm. you know at the end of the day they you know they can't self narrate you know mm. narrate themselves. So it's it's really cool that they just by what they do it just shows yeah. that they can have the best battles. And I think it's because that like we sort of demonstrated, they, they always adapt, which is obviously one of their key things. And what mm. I always like about the Tyranids is how, how sort of non caring they are by what they do. Yeah. They sort of no, yeah. they're not sort of the, they're the worst kind of enemy where they're not, mm. not they're not malicious about it. They're just like, yeah. oh, you're just in the, we just need more biomass and, We'll just do whatever mm. it takes to get that. Like, there's no emotion in it as such. Mm. You see what I mean? Yeah. It's just, yeah. They they're just not do... technically malicious. They're no. They're just hungry. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the, <laughs> that's what I say at lunchtime. Um, I'm not malicious. I'm just you, hungry. <laughs> I don't hate you. I love you, sandwich. But yeah. you're so delicious. <laughs> exactly. That's why I must devour you. Yum 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 yum. So no, it's 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 really cool. So no, it's. I uh, hope you've all enjoyed these uh, listening to some of these these cool battles because. Yeah, you know, there are out there and sometimes these battles and wars do get hidden a bit in 40k history and sometimes you need mm. to sort of uh, wrench them out. So no, that's very cool. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, I think it's time for our last little break now. Um, and when we yeah. return, we'll be to- doing our discussion topic where we get our creative hats on and sort of think, what would the girls and guys of the Free Guild be doing if mm. we decided to choose their regiments yeah. <laughs> but back soon <laughs> okay it's time for the mortal realms and mm. in this discussion topic like we said we're going to follow on from last episode where we were sort of talking about our own custom imperial guard regiments so we're going to do the same for the free guilds for the guys and gals of the mortal realms so yeah just i i i think it, this epitomizes uh aos because i think i was i don't know about you yeah. Cameron, but i feel sometimes i feel like my thinking cap for aos feels larger than it does for 40k mm. i feel like I, in my head i can sort of create a bit more <laughs> than i can for 40k yeah. I, don't, I don't know yeah i'd I say mean, you've got I, I, a bit I, more scope yeah i think part of it is age of sigma is well defined, but it's not as strictly defined as mm. 40k. I think is a big part of it. Like, for example, um, you couldn't have like an imperial guard regiment that's made up of like mercenaries of all different kinds and walks of life and potentially even different species and all that kind of stuff. That's not kosher. That would no. work in 40k. No. Uh, but in Age of Sigma, sure, you have a you have a free guild company that just hires whoever will take who whoever wants to join in that kind of stuff. Mm. Yeah. Mm. All yeah. kinds of interesting things can happen. Yeah, exactly. So, so tell me, Cameron, tell me mm. your first regiment idea. All right. Um, so my first regiment is the Phoenix Flight. They're an Axian Elven Free Guild regiment. Okay. Uh, and they are inspired both metaphorically in my mind and li- and literally is in, they saw this and thought, whoa, that's a cool idea. We should do that for our regiment uh, by the Ideneth Deepkin. Mm. Um, <clears throat> technically inspired by the way the deep can manipulate the ether sea to move around quickly on land uh, these ones, the Phoenix Flight instead use Axian um, aligned sorcerers to manipulate thermal winds from the volcanic terrain to literally scoot themselves along faster so all their units have like big cloaks that they can spread out to glide along these thermal currents as they travel um, it's not always useful in battle but it does mean this regiment can march anywhere very quickly um and yeah uh you know they've got lots of the 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 flame heart phoenixes all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff yeah. Um, yeah yeah lots of lots of quote-unquote pistoliers which i imagine is just two guys on a cavalry base gliding along each with one gun <laughs> i think would be cool uh all that kind of stuff yeah yeah and just like a little more contraptiony elf as opposed to pure magic-y elf so like yeah. they'll have the <clears throat> they'll have the Tidecaster style battle mage uh, aligned to Axie, obviously. Mm-hmm. But like part of part of the <clears throat> oh, blah, 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 blah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> part of the idea of like 
the units would be almost all like elven infantry, but like mimicking other units through the use of things that help them catch the currents and stuff. So the fast, like, um, demigriff knights will have like the big wooden frames and they'll have a couple of guys on there doing the fight and all that kind of stuff. Instead of a steam tank, you would just have like, I imagine like hot air balloon almost kind of unit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to drag the artillery around, all that kind of thing. I think it'd be interesting to see like the, those more mechanically, but still aligned, but still mystical elves. Yeah, so an idea. so they're borrowing a bit off the Caradron overlords a bit, mm. getting yeah. nicking a bit yeah. of their tech. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> cool. Right. Okay. Um, and what's your what's another one you got? Uh, my other one is the Damned Legion. Uh, so my idea is <clears throat> this this uh this regiment came together during a war between two Azaheim noble houses. Uh their war obviously not conducted in Azir itself, but conducted in out in the sticks, somewhere where the people won't see us being indiscreet and bloody. Um yep. and the problem with being so far out, uh and away from Azir and all its resources is uh, the regiments being used to fight this little uh, noble tiff didn't have access to a lot of resources, and so they couldn't afford to take prisoners. So whenever an enemy surrendered, they were given a choice, either die now or sign up and become part of our regiment. <laughs> and um, yeah, and if they didn't accept, obviously they were executed on the spot because they literally couldn't afford to feed people who didn't fight for them. Uh, but if they signed up, that's all good. You're expected to act as part of the regiment, learn how to get along with everyone, and fight the people you were just working for. Yeah. Um, and this this tradition has tr- continued for you know through to the modern day of quote unquote modern day of Age of Sigma, uh, but it's become a little more broad in scope to the point where uh, the regiment is still mostly human, but there's a decent few elves and and dwarden tossed in there. Uh, yep. But there's also a few orcs, ogors, some sentient undead, and some other oddities uh, that have surrendered over the years and sort of adapted and to fit in just enough. They're a real sort of motley, ragged crew kind of thing, and I really like the idea of like, yeah, this is my free guild regiment. Isn't that... Is, is that a zombie? It's like, oh, yeah, no, yeah, he joined. You know, the necromancer yeah. is one of the battle you don't discriminate and, you know yeah <laughs> it's like you know and and here and here's my demigriff cavalry and like that's just an that's just an auric brute on a horse <laughs> and like yes he joined up he thought we were really good at fighting and that he couldn't beat us so he joined us <laughs> <laughs> I like that <laughs> yeah and yeah I like the idea of like it's showing their journeys like we've got people from here and people from here people from everywhere mm. but we're yeah. all bound by the fact that we work together, we get paid together, and most importantly, we get fed together. Yeah. Which I imagine the Ogors are happy about. <laughs> exactly. exactly. We're not malicious, we're just hungry. It's that same sentiment yeah. from the last section. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even think about that. <laughs> awesome. No, I like that idea. And I suppose, especially from a tabletop perspective as well, you would be able to, be able to, mm. to sort of pick any models you like and go, Oh, well, yeah. There they are. They're, yeah. they're demigraph knights. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's that? My steam tank is just four ogres holding a big boulder. Sure. Why not? <laughs> mm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the, and it'll go on when I talk about mine. I suppose the theme for mm. free guild regiments is a reason to bring them together because yeah. that's yeah. ultimately what free guild regiments are. They're brought together either by money, necessity, a common goal, but generally money, probably, you know, because obviously that's what yeah, they are. They're just yeah. mercenaries brought together. And obviously it comes with a theme usually. And mm. that's, 
you know, really cool as well. Um, like yeah. we, what we spoke about in Black Pyramid with the, was it the red, the reds and blacks? Is that one of them? And the, yeah, the yeah. golden griffins and things like that. And where the, um, the gallowsmen, yeah. Gallowsmen, yeah. They're perfect. Again, I love that with the, the really noose good. and things mm. like that. So yeah, that's really cool. Cool. Okay. Um, well, I'll share you with some of mine. Um, so the first one I've got is the grief guard from Shaish. Mm-hmm. So basically these are men and women that have their sort of common theme between them is that they've lost someone like i.e. family, you know, their family has generally been killed. Um, hence yeah. why they're called the grief guard. And what they do is they wear red face paint around their eyes, uh, to signify the amount of, cr- cause they've been crying obviously cause they've lost their family. So that's mm-hmm. all, they all wear this sort of horrific red face paint um and they use um reaper scythes Mm. as their main sort of choice of weapon to sort of signify the bringer of death um and i like the idea that there's even sort of uh rumor that they will even go to the point of killing family to mean Mm. to to join the regiment in the sense that they can't handle you know they can't handle sort of being with their family anymore like they can't support them anymore and obviously what would rather join the regiment and leave that you know live that life Mm. that they will i said look to even kill their family to uh yeah to join that so that was the uh the grief guard um another idea which i quite liked was the little lightnings so basically this is a (laughs) um Uh, it's like Little League, but for Asia Sigma. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Little Lightnings. Uh, um, they're basically, they're a free guild, free guild regiment that are known for impersonating Stormcast Eternals. Oh my so, god, that's amazing. So they will um, often look to scavenge their armour, um, and, mm. you know, obviously any that get left behind in battle, or say a Stormcast dies and their armor's still around. So obviously it's, they're very mm. similar to what you were saying with your damned one. They're a bit cruder, obviously, because they, they sort of, yeah. it's whatever Stormcast stuff they can find. And what they try to do is recruit larger soldiers, mm. um, because obviously Stormcast Eternals are bigger than your traditional you know, man or woman. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so they try to, you know, within reason, they try to recruit larger soldiers to obviously fit yeah. the armor again that's not always <laughs> always right um and yeah mm-hmm. and that's what they they're sort of known for they sort of they 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 sort of almost rather than just worshiping sigma they worship the storm literally mm. worship Stormcast. Yeah, yeah. But so much so oh. they, they try to impersonate him and i like that's i would awesome. love to see that on the tabletop i would love to see yeah. sort of human-sized you know models with with like bits of Stormcast armor and things like that mm. trying to re, you know ride mm. Like they're, uh, you know, they're griff hounds and things like that. I just thought yeah. it'd be really, oh, really cool. That'd so that's crazy. They... I love that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the last one I came up with was called the, the Hexed Crows. So these uh, are a free guild regiment that are believed to be cursed by a unknown lesser chaos god that's, you know, supposedly okay. been destroyed in, you know, with uh, a lot of the other gods. A bit similar to what happened with, mm. um, you know, obviously when Nagash took over Shaish and and yeah. and Sigma helped him destroy some of the lesser death gods. This is sort of mm. a similar thing, but it's uh, one of the lesser chaos gods. Um, so these are sort of, I would imagine, like a quite a, ri- you know, uh, very based on performing rituals before battle because because obviously they mm. they consider every day their last because in their context they've they've been mm. cursed for life um, and. Yeah you know, sort of they feel like they're on borrowed time. So they're quite a, um, 
suppose what they're a bit, a bit of a suicidal type regiment really they don't wear much armor they're sort of almost like berserker like really sort of again you know sort of that um sort of chaos try even though they're free guild they're sort of that sort of tribal sort of thing where Mm. they you know sort of just try to go all out and if they survive the battle then obviously the curse hasn't you know hasn't hasn't taken (laughs) them really yeah yeah but um but again they'll be sort of very you know shamanic you know i don't mean shaman as in the um, as in the realm, as in like like shaman, really, sort of that, uh, yeah, that sort of um, druid type sort of thing going on as well. Mm. So, but again, you can have a lot of, you could do a lot of cool little oh, yeah. sort of bits with that as well. So, um, so yeah, that was my that was my ideas as well. Um, mm. yeah, I think my great. particular favorite like was the the little lightnings. I think was my oh, particular yeah. favorite. Absolutely. I just <laughs> so. But yeah, I, th- uh, I think I think it's similar again. Like when we spoke about the Imperial Guard regiments, it's the same sort mm. of thing where you know you can, yeah, you can do what you want with them. Really, you know, both law perspective and mm. and tabletop. Really, there's particularly tabletop yeah. because you know if you want to arm them, as long as they're sort of armed as they should be in the mm. rules, then they can be whatever you want them to be. Really, you know, free guild yeah. regiments are just just collections of men and women. Uh, and don't even really have to be men, you know, as in humans, mm. they they can be yeah. elves and stuff, really, oh, yeah. you know, they're sort of, mm. if you want to be a bit looser with it, like, you know, with your elven phoenix-esque um, mm. uh, regiment as well. So, yeah, I've seen yeah. some cool stuff out there. I've seen some really oh, cool yeah. stuff yeah, out there, especially when it comes to the, 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 the cities of Sigmar, anything around Free mm. Guild, there's so many cool conversions and, and, and people making up their own lore. Um, I mean, again, one mm-hmm. thing I recommend for anyone listening is the um, over on TGA, which is like one of the biggest mm-hmm. AOS um, forums, is check out the Midnight City. Uh, I think it's Ricky okay. Smith, I think is the guy behind yeah. it. Um, oh, yeah, I know that one. You've probably, oh, you've probably seen his stuff on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. If, you, if, you, yeah. if you go on, on TGA, he, he's done his own little mini battle tome for his city oh, like nice. a little like uh, he's actually done a, like a whole pdf of all the with all their lore and why they check it out it's mm. really really cool yeah. and it just shows what you know when you get creative what you know what people can do so mm. it's really really impressive nice. <sighs> right okay so i think that's been it really that's been mm. episode 53 i hope you've all enjoyed it and uh before we sign off cameron Tell us where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at night underscore twitten. That's night without a K. Uh, come by for yelling at the Australian government and also cute pictures of animals uh, and various <laughs> other things. Um, and yeah, you know, uh, me talking about Doom Eternal because I've been playing mm. that recently. Nice. Good Lord, that's that's a video game. I can tell you that much. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really gamey video game. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Um, Good. Yeah. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at realm underscore and underscore ruin, uh, which I've been updating periodically as I do hobby stuff, uh, which if you've listened to the previous parts of today's show, obviously I've been doing quite a bit. Uh, mm. So check it out there. Uh, or, of course... You can find it on our our podcast Twitter at Realm and Ruin, at Real mm. Land Ruin, as some say on Twitter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, check out what Matt and I are up to. Um, but Matt, if people want to follow you specifically, where can they find you in a, in a non-restraining uh, order stalking way? Yeah, in a in an online capacity, yes. Uh, yes. You can find me also on Twitter at NinjaBadger7, the number seven. So, yeah, that's where we all mm. are at on those social media 
platforms that the cool kids are on, um, yeah. such as us. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, hope you have all enjoyed it. Uh, hope you're all staying safe as the yes. world evolves around us uh, <laughs> at the moment. Mm-hmm. And we've got some exciting stuff coming up. And oh, yes. as always, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Bye-bye.